0: Boogeyman is real, and you found him. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen
1: up. What's blood for, if not for shedding?
0: I'm my number one
1: fan. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Seven days. <laughs> I am Dracula. We have such sights to show you.
0: I, I said not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I am the eater of woods and of children. What's back. in the fucking box? They're coming to
1: get you, Barbara. One by one we will take you. Never, 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 never!
0: You gotta be fucking kidding.
1: It rubs the motion on its skin or else gets the hose again.
0: Welcome to prime time, bitch! <laughs> 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 Welcome, 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 all you horror fans out there. It is Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time, and it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror Podcast, the only podcast that spends way too much time in the sporting goods sections at SMART. So if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember we do this live every preceding Wednesday right here on YouTube. So we hope to see you in the live chat, and we appreciate everybody's hanging out with us tonight. This week we are looking back at select horror films released February twenty fifth through March second. Thank you all so much for joining us for what will surely be a bloody good time. I am JL, and while I am holding down the Ford Solo right now, the uh, the guys are on their way, so they will be joining me. So I promise you, that's why I was kind of like holding. I was kind of like holding, you know, from seven o'clock. I was I was holding, and hopefully uh, they will be here shortly. But I, I told them, he was like, "Take your time. You're trying to get home, so." don't rush you know we got we got plenty of lead time we got we, we got stuff to talk about before we dive into tonight's horror selections which uh it's so awesome to see i love it when we put po- when uh because because the way we post it up in the community chat in the in and the uh in the community tab over on uh, on our on this here on the youtube channel is at the end of every show, we post up the posters for the movies we're going to be talking about next week. Plus, I announce them at the end of every show. So the the level of excitement about one of the movies we're going to talk about has been awesome. People have been, you know, like, I've gotten a bunch of messages about it. It'd be like, you know, they love this film, and I love it myself. I can't wait to dive into it, but we have a bunch of stuff to uh, to get to. So first and foremost, let's get up that Patreon banner. Those are some amazing people right there that help to make this show possible. All those names you see scrolling along there, you can support our show and make everything here possible, plus all the the behind-the-scenes stuff that we do for as little as a dollar a month. We do appreciate the support, and of course, you get your name on the banner and a shout out on the show. So thank you very much for all your support, all of you amazing, amazing patrons. And let's see who we have in the live chat tonight. I see for this ghoulishly good time, I see Casey Cooper is here. Good to see you, bud. As well as Sir Little Wolf, who was second in the chat, says, "Love, yep, yep, love that movie. Love Evil Speak. Absolutely, we're gonna get to it. I promise you, it's fucking amazing." Travis Brown, good to see you, buds. His evening horror freaks just finished watching Eli Roth Thanksgiving, and it was crazy fun, though disappointing in some parts. So this, it's interesting that you bring this. So yes, so Thanksgiving, very very enjoyable film. I really thoroughly enjoyed it yeah, because it's it was you know it's Eli Roth. I you with when it's Eli Roth. After movies like Hostel, after Cabin Fever, and you know can you and you know watching the work that he does in the genre, both um, as himself and as you know you know, when he's directing and when he's writing, the the killer that you know what to expect with Eli Roth. You I mean all cards are on the table. There are no surprises. I don't think we're gonna get like you know Eli Roth is not going to like out there to challenge us. He's going out there to give us exactly what we want. So I knew I pretty much had a sensation going into Thanksgiving, knowing exactly what was going to happen. It's like this is what we're gonna get. And yes, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks. Uh, Thanksgiving Thanksgiving won out as far as like holiday horror of 2023. Thanksgiving beat out. It's a wonderful knife for me because um because Thanksgiving, unlike it's a wonderful knife, even though it's a wonderful knife was was fun, you know, had Justin Long in it and it was, you know, good, it was well acted. Thanksgiving, you know, Eli Roth is not going to, like, spend time trying to beat you over the head with a specific message or try to push what feels very much like a specific agenda. Um, he may lace or maybe kind of, like, pepper in, you know, uh, or maybe baste, you know, his movie in some sort of commentary or some sort of personal commentary, but he won't hit you in the face with it, which I thoroughly enjoy. I, I like that aspect. If there's something in there that makes the audience think and be like, oh, that's an interesting interesting note. That's really good. Eli Roth is smart enough to know not to, you know, not to Gallagher hammer it into your head to try and get this point across while trying to be entertained by a horror film. It's a wonderful knife, despite its positive uh, notes, was overwhelmed by that. And as far as holiday films go, Thanksgiving was way, way better. And it's currently available on Netflix, which is interesting because apparently there's like this big, this big discussion going on online right now about Netflix tearing its content releases, whether, you know, that, so for specific, like, like for specific content, like say a major motion picture like Thanksgiving, they actually saw a theatrical release and then, you know, later went to, to rental and purchase on VOD and is now finally on Netflix for subscribers to watch, that apparently it's kind of because there's no ads that it requires the, the upper tier to subscribe to in order to watch that. So, and we're seeing that, and I, you know, we're actually we're seeing a big shift in in VOD content, in streaming content, because uh, Amazon did the exact same thing. Now Amazon, even for Prime members, you know, as long as me, I, you know, Amazon has been my go to. Amazon has ads now, unless you pay the additional money for the non ad experience, which means you know either the it means the the landscape for streaming is shifting. It really, really is. And likely that's because of the recent rulings in favor of, or the uh, the recent changes in contracts for actors and for voice actors and writers. So in order to compensate for the additional monies that are going out to the people that create the content, the streaming services have to charge us, the audience, additional money to cover what they had going out instead of just you know, taking one for the team and realizing we should have been paying these people equally beforehand. So it's wild to kind of see that. Now, now we have good access. We get streaming services that are getting access to things for those individuals who can't go to theater, can't afford the theater, the theater is too far away, or the theater doesn't get a reel because it's too small. Then we can get them on streaming. But now we're getting tiered access to these streaming services because people are wanting to be paid fairly for the work that they are doing and to protect their likenesses and the future of their careers moving forward. So it's a weird, the landscape has definitely shifted and you know, who's going to pick up the tab. We, the audience, we, the audience are going to pick up the tab. You know, I saw when it was like ad free experience on prime. What? Well, you know, I hate ads with a fiery passion. So I have to do it. The only question is, when is it going to happen with Netflix, or when it's going to happen with YouTube. Because I can first, this is not a prediction, but it would not surprise me if at one time in the future, channels on YouTube that have millions of subscribers, that that people flock to in droves, that if you want to watch those channels for an ad-free experience, because those are the ones that take the most money out of YouTube's pocket, that that content will be uh, subscription tiered that you'll have to pay additional money to not see ads on their product because of the amount of money. That way you can say, oh, I'll just pay an additional $2 in order to gain access to all the content instead of having no ad experience on like lower tier, lower subscriber channels and have to pay ads on bigger subscribers because that ad revenue comes from a larger fan base. I don't know. We see it hitting subscription services now, Prime, Netflix, um, Hulu, Hulu. Hulu still runs ads, which just, you know, like just annoys the shit out of me. But it could come down to the to the to the creator platforms as well. I could I could I could foresee that. I'm not predicting it will happen, but it wouldn't surprise me if it did. Nonetheless, Thanksgiving is a decent movie. If you do have Netflix, you can check it out there. If you don't mind ads, you can watch there and be like you know similar to watching it on Tubi. So, but definitely check that out. You know, it's good stuff. It's good, fun holiday you know holiday themed Eli Roth messiness, which is just fantastic. Uh, I kind of went on a, I kind of went on a rant there. This, this, this first rant brought to you by Eli Roth. Thank you, Eli, for all the work that you do. Uh, Sir Little Wolf is here. He you know, says, uh, Eli Roth is hit or miss with this stuff. More bunts. I can see that. I would agree with that. He does have some, some moments of genius. He really does as a director, but, and I actually prefer him as an actor over, uh, over, uh, I prefer him as an actor over a director. I like his content. I liked Hostel. I enjoyed Hostel. It was a romp. I enjoyed Cabin Fever. It was a gory good time. Um, I liked Thanksgiving. You know, I liked Clown. I liked Green Inferno. You know, he's got good stuff. There's good stuff that he has in there. He does try to push boundaries and kind of like, you know, go the whole like, you know, exploitation route. He does dab, you know, dip his fingers and you know, dip his toes or you know dip his body parts into that area. He does like to do that. Just kind of like shock. But it's not as extreme as stuff that you would find in, like, the 70s, you know, the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But uh, nonetheless, he's a, you know, he's a fun watch. But I actually prefer him as an actor. I actually liked him as the bear Jew in Inglorious Bastards. Like, that's the the one thing I liked him the most for. I really did. I loved his portrayal of that character as Donnie. So, it's just, you know, fun stuff. Oh, maybe it's because he was beating up Nazis. It, it, It might be, yeah. Uh, let me see who else we got here. Um uh, B Blanco is here. Good to see you, B Blanco. Thanks so much for hanging out. Sarcasm is a member, Is has become a member of the Army of the Dead. Thank you so much, Sarcasm. Appreciate that support. Please enjoy all the horror icon emojis that I made for you. I hope you like those. Uh, Strangelux790 is here as well. Says hello, everyone. Good to see you. Thanks so much, Strange uh, Strangelux, for being here. And uh, Sir Ken said, Good evening, Parasocial Social Group. Yep, absolutely. Rodent, no last name, is hanging out. What's going on? Gabba Gaba says, What did the cannibal say to the quadriplegic? Meals on wheels. That's brutal, but it's true. It's funny because it's true. Thank you so much, Rodent. Uh, I love seeing you in the chat. Left handed Jedi as well. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Yep, I was running a couple minutes just trying to give the guys a little time, but, you know, we'll get it there. I promise. Ivy Gentry, good to see you. Says, hope we are all happy little horrors tonight. We are. We are happy little horrors tonight. As yeah, I don't know. Some people may be annoyed by my Eli Roth diatribe or my, you know, my rant on Eli Roth. I like Eli Roth. He's a good dude. I really enjoy Thanksgiving. It was just good to kick back and get a slasher film that because so many have I I get the sense that that writing has is really kind of pushing an agenda lately. And it was nice to get a slasher film that wasn't trying to beat me over the head with a a message, which was really, really nice. Oh, let me see who else we got here. Cindy Sue says, welcome, welcome all you uh, horror fans. Sorry, it's been a week and I need to entertain myself. Absolutely, Cindy, it's so good to see you. Joshua Lee is here, says shop smart, shop S smart. Hell yes, good to see you, bud. Thanks so much for hanging out. Yes, sporting, oh, housewares? No, Ash worked in housewares. The boomstick was sold in the sporting goods section. But Ash specifically worked in housewares. Yes, that was his job. But remember, when he's talking to the medieval army, he was talking to the army, or to the you know, to, uh, to the king's people, he says, you can find this in the sporting goods section. Retails for $129.95. Aha! Thought you could get me, huh? Thought you could get me! Ha! Huh? <laughs> Jinju, good to see you. Is it sporting goods, you say? I spend more time in the hardware section. Is there a better toys there there are i love toys here's the question here's the question for you uh Jinju. when you are playing with your hardware toys this sounds so gross This sounds so dirty do you prefer dewalt ryobi Milwaukee or milwaukee dewalt ryobi or milwaukee well you can tell me uh, this is so this is totally not horror well maybe it is because you it depends on what you're using the tools for so like if you like if you were doing a craniotomy you know, on someone who betrayed you or someone who left you for dead. If you you were in a horror film and you were doing a craniotomy on someone, would you prefer Milwaukee, DeWalt, or Ryobi? There's a bonus question. Let us know in the comments below which one you prefer because I'll tell you what, what brand you choose tells me, because I was in maintenance for, for quite some time, what brand you choose tells me a lot about you. It really does. Ryobi, DeWalt, or Milwaukee? I'd love to know. See, that's, see, it's interesting questions like that. Uh, let me see. Aaron Reese is lurking while working. I'm finishing the electrical and painting in my office studio. Fantastic. Can I wait to see you back on the screen, see what you bring to us. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Cindy Johnson as well. Good to see you, Cindy. Thanks so much for hanging out. Appreciate you being here. Uh, the food puns. <laughs> yep. Uh, let me see. Who else do we have? Who else do we have? Oh, freebie on Amazon is going away. I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that, but it doesn't surprise me. And, you know, something like that I don't think would was sustainable. But uh, I am curious about that. Uh, let me see. City Sue says, please, uh, Glob, forgive uh, forgive the millionaire owner giving up some of their gazillion ill-gotten gains. Yeah, good point. Yeah, absolutely. Skuma Cat, good to see you. Says, hello. Thanks so much for being here, Skuma Cat. Sarcasm says, that was a hard left turn in the middle of chat of the chat greets. I know, right? I totally like just shh. You know, hey, that's interesting over there. It's like, oh, shiny. And then run back. It's like, oh, wait, wait. I was in the middle of like doing uh opening greetings. So <laughs> it happens sometimes because oh, I'm alone. I'm all alone. There's no one here to guide me. <laughs> anyway, Sarcasm has been a member of the Army of the Dead for seven months. Thank you so much, Sarcasm, for that support. I do appreciate that. Uh, Donnie does that. Says, hey, everyone. Good to see you, Donnie. skits Crash and Will says, good afternoon. Good to see you, Skits. And so Little Wolf says, all oh, right. Ooh, good to see you. Thanks so much, Lister little, little Wolf. Love getting a howl, uh, howl for, from you in the chat. Let me see who else we got here. Yes, Hail to the King, baby. That's right, Left-Handed Jedi. Uh, let me see Benford. <laughs> uh, Case Cooper says, Milwaukee. Fuck yes. Okay. Case Cooper says, Milwaukee. I think it just says Black and Decker. Interesting. Donnie does that. says Ryobi. Oh, I'm intrigued. Aaron Reese says, DeWalt is top of the line, but Ryobi has better deals for Do-It-Yourself. Oh, DeWalt. It's all over the place. It really is. It tells me a lot about you. I'm learning so much about my live chat right now. I really, really am. Who else we got here? Who else we got here? Who's hanging out in the chat? Uh, let me see. Scooby Cat says, how are you, JL? I am doing fantastic. This is going to be a fun night. We got some good stuff to talk about. Uh, some interesting news that came down the pipeline. So I am going to get. I want to get you guys' I want to get y'all's opinion on I really want to hear what you guys think about some of this stuff. Plus, we're going to throw a shout-out to a good friend of the show. Let me see. Jinju says, as Caleb says in the game, Blood, uh, game blood Good, Bad, uh, Yes, I'm the guy with the gun. Yes, they ask, thank you so much. Good, bad, I'm the, I'm the guy with the gun. Fuck yes. You got to love Bruce Campbell, you know? The man with the chin like a clenched fist. Uh, let me see. Uh, see, Casey Cooper says, I was a maintenance director when I retired. See, when you work in maintenance, you know. Milwaukee. Was the right answer? Milwaukee was the right answer. It was well technically. There's no wrong answer. He's like Aaron is correct. You know, Ryobi is great for like you know is the best deals for do it yourself stuff. Dewalt actually has some good products as well. So does uh, Makita. Um, but Milwaukee is where it's at. Milwaukee mm-hmm. is. I mean, Dewalt's not bad. But if you want length, if you want like you know usage, if you want lifespan, if you want utility, it's Milwaukee. You're gonna pay higher. For it, yes, it does cost more, but you know it pays in spades, man. My Milwaukee Impact saved me more times than I can count. It really did. Oh, let me see the, Yes, I have to get you the chin that wouldn't die. Absolutely, Cindy Sue says whatever is cheaper when something breaks, then it's Ryobi for you, young lady. Ryobi all the way. Home Depot has some great deals on those. This is not a Home Depot show, not a not a home improvement show. This is a horse show, unless the home is haunted. And then, then this is a show about that experience of home improvement in a haunted house. So, <laughs> so like Amityville, that's pretty much it. All right, man, I have rambled on long enough. I have about Sousa, but it's so fantastic to see everybody in the chat. Love seeing y'all. Appreciate y'all hanging out with me tonight. Tang Whistle CPM says, woo, catching it live. Yes, we just kicked off. So, you just, literally, Tang, you just missed my rant about all things Eli Roth and home improvement. So, just goofy angel rivera says rigid is cheaper than ryobi oh man it's yeah but at least yeah uh, there's a reason i didn't bring it up reason i didn't say it you know i did tang whistle did i miss a trailer no you did not you did not miss a trailer so but we have one tonight i promise you so but good to see you tang Casey cooper says i still have my father's drill which is over 40 years old milwaukee bam sold sold <laughs> oh yeah she, she says you want cheap tools Go to horror, fr- uh, go go to horror fright. Um, I mean Harbor Freight. Oh, I, I know. You know, working in maintenance. You know, that was, was like because you know they it cheap. You bring your own shit. Like, you, I have my own tools that I brought to work. But if we needed to go and get something on the fly that we didn't have, it was to Harbor Freight. Ugh, Harbor Freight and Sherwin Williams. I paid way too much time. Why well, I, I spent way too much time in those two shops, Sherman Williams and Harbor Freight. Ugh. Harbor Freight oh sorry I hate to shit on them I prefer Home Depot but damn Harbor Freight man Woo. not you know not to you know sorry, I hate to denigrate no no I don't hate to denigrate Harbor Freight that the fucking the fucking business suck they suck so nonetheless people there's gonna be some Harbor Freight fans out there that really don't like me anymore oh uh, let me see Sir Kevin says if you can't exercise your poltergeist, guys buy Milwaukee for those frequent fix-it projects there you go there you go Travis Brown says Ace Hardware is the place to be with this fucking Ace Hardware. You're getting paid for that, my friend. Is the only reason you'd say that, is you get, you're getting paid for it. <laughs> Ace Hardware. Oh, man. But we have some news tonight. We do. We have some news. So before the guys get here, I know they're probably logging in as we speak or, you know, uh, almost home. First and foremost, we want to give a giant fucking shout out to friend of the channel, actress Rebecca Kennedy. Rebecca, was rec- uh, her most recent film, I followed um, the production, like, kind of like the production she was posting up on social media, has a new movie coming out called Crust. And uh, it's a kind of like, I guess, a horror comedy where a depressed has-been child actor and owner of a dingy laundromat becomes powerfully vengeful when his collection of lone socks, like the guy would save all the socks with no mates, like the all the like the it's always the left ones um tra- the socks transform into a protective cute murderous monster named crust so it's very much in the vein of say like uh uh, uh what was it um de- uh, uh, oh travis brown won the dang uh won the dang prize for it um i almost said death to smoochie and it's not it uh wow man the murderous puppet uh, Benny loves you it's very much in the vein of Benny loves you so kind of like that uh took man it took a second for me to tap that knowledge man so that that nerve that that pathway wouldn't fire so um so but yeah it's cold crust and it's about a guy with you know who you know has a sock monster and the sock monster takes revenge for him so uh Rebecca um plays Nyla or the I believe it's Nyla she plays Nyla in it the film also stars um, a number of individuals that you would probably recognize from television, uh, you know, a character actor Alan Ruck, who has been in virtually everything. If you've ever watched a show, you have seen Alan in an episode. I promise you, Alan Ruck is in it. Daniel Roebuck of you know a number of Rob Zombie productions. It's directed and stars uh, Sean Whalen in a supporting role. Sean Whalen, brother of Frank Whalen, so Sean is in it and uh, he is directing. It's his directorial debut. So congrats, Sean. Uh, legendary horror you know, horror legend Felissa Rose. And, of course, uh, Wendell Josepher, who you will remember from the movie Twister, which actually shot up here in Oklahoma. So we have uh, an interesting cast put together. Very, very talented individual starring, you know, of course, uh, Rebecca Kennedy, who is literally the second guest we ever had here on the show. when Back when we were doing our Bring on the Guest to Talk About Movies uh, deal. So, but yes. Um, but yeah, so congratulations to Rebecca. The reason we are calling uh, giving her shout outs is because. One of the toughest things in film production is finding a home for your film. There's multiple steps in it. And I know I know that a vast majority of you are aware of that, but you know, g- going through the logistics, it's always a bitch. Securing your funding, <clears throat> going you know, basically getting a script, refining the script, getting funding, getting into pre-production, finishing pre-production, getting into principal, finishing principal, getting into post, finishing post, and this generally takes, as Eugenia says g- Eugenia's has mentioned a number of times. Can take years, you know, a, a, often an average of two years to get to that point. You finally get through post, you get, you get fill, you get lock, you get picture lock. That means the film is done. Okay. The film is done. Now you've, you've been through all of your shit. You've got a solid product. Now it's time to find it a home, meaning dis- distribution. Like who is going to put this thing out? Because getting, putting the uh, shooting the movie, making the movie, and distributing the movie and technically advertising the film as well, are all, you know, beasts in and of themselves. It's like the, the three-headed monster, the Cerberus, to getting a successful film with the three things. Shooting it, distributing it, marketing it, marketing that bitch. And Rebecca Kennedy proudly announced that Anchor Bay has picked up crust for distribution. So they have a home with Anchor Bay, who took a little shot on this uh, this little horror film, Sean Whalen's uh, directorial debut. So congratulations, Rebecca. Uh, you've done so much good work and so much excellent work. And we you know, the sky's the limit for this girl. She has been kicking ass and taking names. I We we have been following her career here at and Horror ever since before she came on the show. It's why we had her on the show because, you know, when she was back doing like, you know, Law and Order and shit, and now, bam, like she's off and running. Fantastic shit. So looking forward to that. Um, Let me see. Do we get someone new in the chat? No, I didn't say I'd be interested. I was uh, looking at a bus online early and couldn't figure out who I knew from Oklahoma. You know me. There you go. <laughs> so that's the big one. Congratulations, Rebecca. Uh, well done. Well done. I'm so proud. Of, I'm so proud of you and so happy that uh, it's, you know, it's hard to find that distribution. Sometimes films will get done and they will languish. You know, they'll languish because no one wants to pick them up and no one wants to distribute them because they, because for, for whatever reasons, oftentimes because of stigma, because, Ooh, this film was a little too, Chad, this movie's a little too challenging. So, you know, we don't want to take the risk to have our name associated with it, but man, they got it. So congratulations, Rebecca and Sean. Yeah, well done. Well, they can't wait to see it. Second bit of news coming out, and this may divide some, uh, divide some of the audience. This may divide some of y'all. So it's actually good news and bad news. So I'll give you the good news first. The good news is that the Crow is coming to Steelbook, HD Steelbook, limited edition HD Steelbook uh, here very soon. So I don't have the exact release date as to when that's going to be out. I could probably look it up, but uh, I know y'all are capable uh, horror fans, so I know that y'all could probably look it up too. But if you are a Crow fan, it is getting a 4K limited edition HD Steelio Steelbook that will be releasing shortly. So that's the original masterpiece with Brandon Lee. And uh, to just kind of set the tone for, you know, like, you know, I guess the it's, it's like the tone of the 90s. It really is. He just captured the tone of the 90s. And, you know, it was like a fantastic adaptation from the graphic novel. You know, the graphic novel is, you know, much more violent and intense than the movie ever was. But, you know, Brandon Lee just freaking slayed in that movie. Unfortunately, you know, we lost him on this. It's almost like, you know, that, oh, uh, man, I wish we'd gotten more out of him. God, he was so, fuck, he was so talented. But, you know, he gave us the crow. So, uh, thank you, Angel Rivera says, May 7th, 2024. May 7th, 2024? Will be uh, the release date for the uh, the Crow limited edition HD steelbook. So if you are a big Crow fan, you may want to jump on that because I don't think those are going to last very long. I myself am going to uh, going to put a uh, put a down on it so I can grab it as soon as it comes in. I'll probably I'm going to pre order it and get it done because I love the Crow. I actually have the Crow on VHS. I have the Crow on VHS. I have it on DVD. And I also have a digital, and I'm also going to do uh, – because I have a digital collection as well, but I have it on digital, and I have it on uh, – and I'm going to get it on Steelbook as well because I want to know what they're going to release with that. So two of my favorite actors. Yeah, you know, I have a number of favorite actors and I mean, holy shit, because Michael Wincott as Top Dollar, ph- phenomenal. Brandon Lee, of course, as uh, as Eric Draven, the crow. Then you also had Michael Massey as Fun Boy. You had uh, – oh, I, could, I could run it all – fucking Ernie Hudson, man. Ernie Hudson just kicking ass, taking a – man, I love the – that two hander between between Ernie and and uh, Brandon in the apartment uh, just gets me every fucking time. Uh, Travis Prince says, has already have the Crow on Blu Ray. Well, now you can get it on Steelbook. <laughs> yes, sir. Little Wolf, it can't rain all the time. Ivy Gentry says, uh, "Do you know, know any diesel mechanics?" Jail. I actually know a few because I worked in uh, I worked as a mechanic for several years. So, friend, who you were know, guys who were friends with my dad's? So, Mike seventy one said, "I had the Crow on Laserdisc. You sir are a champion." A champion, good sir. Yes, you are. All right, but there's also some bad news. Well, maybe it's bad news. It's up for you to decide. You can let me know down in the comments below if it is bad news, okay? So, Uster Kev says, I have seen The Crow so many times that I can run into my head start to finish. Dib dib. good to see you. Thanks so much for hanging out. Appreciate you being here. Um, The Crow reboot starring Bill Skarsgård is coming out this summer. Summer 2024. So Bill Skarsgard, of course, of It Fame, recently a Barbarian. Um, you know, love him. You know, Bill Skarsgård is an amazing talent. He was also, yeah, you know, was also in Deadpool, uh, Deadpool 2. So a uh, Zeitgeist. But um uh, Bill Skarsgard will be uh taking on the role of Eric Draven in the Crow reboot. So I know that people are divided on this now bill is a very very talented actor an extraordinarily talented actor and the director uh i'm a little iffy on but not a terrible director has has a decent track record so if i remember correctly just make sure that i make sure that i got it uh that i got it correct so uh directed by rupert sanders who directed Ghost in the Shell and Snow White and the Huntsman. Um, so, I mean, it kind of formula, you know, by the book director, you know, knows the basics. So it's not an incompetent director. They're not going to do to the crow what Sony did to Madam Webb. And hire a first-time director with no feature film experience to direct a multi-million-dollar production and literally sink the Spider-Man franchise. So the Crow will be uh, coming back. And coming in June, twenty twenty-four is when it's hit. So they were shooting that bad boy. Um, now it's done, and we are getting it this summer. So the question then is, what do y'all think? Because personally, I personally, despite the fact that you know I love Bill. I love his work. He's very, very talented, very versatile actor. I have no doubt he can play the role. None whatsoever. But for me, as a child of the 80s and the 90s, The Crow was one of those ones, in my opinion, that you just don't touch. You don't touch The Crow. You don't touch Labyrinth. You don't touch Dark Crystal. Okay? You don't touch Princess Bride. There are films that you just don't mess with because they're who they are. They're They are are what they are and meant for that. And they were perfect the way they are. The reboot is unnecessary. Okay. Don't touch it. So that's my curiosity is what do you think? Brandon Lee is the crow. Yes. Travis Brown. Brandon Lee is the crow. It's like redoing princess bride. Yes. Left-handed Jedi. Exactly. Just like you wouldn't rewrite the hobbit absolutely absolutely casey cooper absolutely no and thank you so much nana has gifted five Week in horror memberships five new members of the army of the dead apparently let me see this is apparently is funny welcome dib dib tang whistle cpm sir little wolf uh john monahan and of course bridge the divide which is me <laughs> which is me on my other channel because i subscribe to my own channel uh but good to see you bud uh, thank you so much. Very, very generous. I do appreciate that. Now I have access to all the horror emojis. Very cool. So thank you very, very much. Uh, but uh, yeah. So Jinju says I'll withhold my opinion until I see it. Okay. So let's. So let us let us know down in the comments below. Upcoming Crow reboot. Yay, nay. Should never be touched. Maybe a, maybe a refresh telling after the after the kind of like abysmal sequels. Even though even though the crow sequel with uh the the crow salvation with uh what was it yeah salvation with um with eric maybe with eric um, mabius that wasn't bad it wasn't bad it was way better than the sequel city of angels and the fourth one what it was it was, it was no wait maybe i got this mixed up i want to make sure i didn't get this mixed up cuz i want to give uh the right one but the crow with eric maybe with eric mabius um crow salvation i got it right i got it right crow salvation the fourth one with Eddie Furlong and Tara Reid and David Boreanaz, that was like a co- that was like Crow cosplay movie. It was terrible. So, but uh, the third one was not bad. It wasn't the original Crow, but it definitely went like Crow City of you know Crow City of Angels Salvation and stupid one with uh with uh Tara Reid and Eddie Furlong. So, but nonetheless, I'm looking for I I I'm I tell you, while I will watch it. I'm concerned, and I honestly don't think that they should they should have done it. I really don't. That's not something that should have been capitalized on. It's perfect the way it is and perfect in its own little thing as the final tribute to Brandon Lee and his amazing talent. So, I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. So, let us know down in the comments below if you are looking forward to, not looking forward to the, uh, to the Crow re- uh, re- or remake or reboot. I think it's a remake. The Crow reboot, they're calling it a reboot, coming out this June, June 2024. So let us know. I'm very, very, very curious to hear what people's thoughts on that. Because that is a beloved film, one that you don't fuck with. You know, honestly, one that you don't fuck with. Um, well, we are about to watch. Uh, so, yeah, we're about to dive into it. Um, I know I've spent you know a good 30 minutes. There's a bunch of stuff to talk about. Um, I don't know where the guys are. So maybe they're almost there. I have no idea. But you never know what they could run into on the way on the way here. So, uh nonetheless, we have a new trailer. We have a trailer to show y'all. So this one caught my attention. This uh, the this one uh, I, number 1 cuz it stars David Desmalkian. And David Desmalkian has always had my attention ever since he was, you know, he was the goon in the ambulance in Batman and uh in uh, uh the Dark Knight. In Dark Knight, he was the guy that that uh he was the uh the Joker goon that um aaron Eckhart grabbed it was you know like psychologically torturing to get information out of him so but david s is a is a phenomenal talent and if you haven't seen him in in uh ant-man when you know that his shit uh i was just funny as hell Uh, he was amazing that but he's an incredibly talented actor but he has a new movie coming out now technically this was shot you know technically saw its release in 2023 but is uh not been released it's uh saw its premiere at south by southwest in 2023 march 2023 it will be releasing to shutter march 22nd so if you have not seen this here is the trailer for david s malkin's latest late night with the devil so i hope you dig this one just check it out cue up the terror tube so uh first and foremost so welcome Alex is okay. here. Fantastic. Oh, and, and dude, I'm gonna tell you this. Your camera looks fantastic.
1: Oh, thank like, you.
0: Like it looks great. Like your setup is, I, is great. The lighting is <laughs> it's it's really good. I've
1: been messing around with it a little bit. Uh that's I've got man, I've even got like a blue screen and everything that I'm ready to set up. I just gotta make a stand for it. So yeah, a. we're getting there. We're getting there.
0: Love it. Looking really good. So uh so that was uh the trailer. For late night with the devil so obviously a 70s appeal even got that 70s look to you know to the camera to to the uh to the technology kind of a throwback to that very very carson-esque in its uh but david osmalkin looks amazing and what do you think what what, what vibe did you get from that
1: <laughs> it, no it was like i because you're doing the terror tube with it's pulling all these old movies and then that one starts i'm like oh it's doing another terror tube trailer i'm like no this is okay (laughs) okay no it looked looked great it looks like it's gonna be a lot of fun um i like that they're starting to go back to kind of these campy 70s vibes because things got a little out of hand for a little bit but um,
0: (laughs) it's true it's true it really
1: is it's they tried everything but you know don't don't change it if it works you know if it ain't broke don't fix it
0: i'm just looking forward to it i love the aesthetic um yeah. it, it uh, you, you get that okay that's so that intro that that voice of the intro is very it's you know it's uh reminiscent of grindhouse like grindhouse intro, stuff like that so it's it's got 70s vibes all the way to its roots i'm loving the setup and it looks essentially if i if i uh remember correctly so the film is presented in a found footage style david dust malkin stars as jack delroy the host of a fictional 1970s variety and late night talk show titled night owls with jack delroy The film purports to be derived from a rediscovered master tape of an episode from the show's sixth season broadcast on Halloween 1977, which is why you see people in costumes in the audience. During this live television broadcast, Havoc unfolds when Delroy interviews a parapsychologist played by Laura Gordon and the subject of her recent book, a young teenager who was the sole survivor of a satanic church's mass unsubscription to the live channel. So... That's going to be interesting. Um, it stars David S. Malkin, Laura Gordon, Ian Bliss, uh, Faisal Bazzi, uh, Georgina Haig, and Josh Kwong Tart. Georgina Haig uh, has been a favorite of mine ever since uh, her ever since her arc on uh, Fringe is when I first saw her. But uh, this is going to be interesting. And it uh, comes to shutter March 22nd, 2024 is when I can guarantee you I will be watching that while <laughs> we'll I am in the champ. That. Now it's like, bam, Gio, right there. So I am still looking forward to it. Um, Travis says the voice is Michael Ironside. Um, interesting. I didn't recognize it as Michael Ironside. I, I didn't. Huh. I didn't because I, typically his voice is very distinctive. Really? So I didn't recognize it, uh, it, it like straight up as Michael Ironside. I didn't. So if it was, I missed it. <laughs> but uh, typically if I hear him, like I know him immediately. I can right. hear him on a television like when he should when, when Angela is like, you know, binge watching a, a latest show or like re, doing a re-binge of an of an old show. If he pops up in an episode, I typically know when I'm back here working and I hear it I'm like, yep, that's Michael Ironside. So that's he could guy. be like that. Well, right? And if you haven't seen it, he played a role in a movie called in a uh, in a Vicious Brothers movie called Extraterrestrial. If you haven't seen that, he is fucking amazing. Because Typically, he's very stern. Oh, oh you yeah, on Michael Ironside, you know, all <laughs> grim and gruff. He plays a, a, a weed smoke, like, 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 like a, a weed consuming, like hardcore Vietnam veteran living off the grid, you know, kind of like almost like vet meets hippie kind of thing. He's like, Oh, I'm off the grid, man. You know, the, 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 Chariots from the sky, you know, chariots of the skies. And he is fucking phenomenal. So if you haven't seen that, Michael Ironside is amazing. Oh, he's great. All right.
1: So, great but yeah. Canadian.
0: Oh yeah. So that was the trailer for Late Night with the Devil. Let us know down in the comments, uh, uh down in the comments if you are looking forward to that. Uh, I will be watching it on Shudder when it drops. So because I love David Malkin and I love that aesthetic, love the '70s aesthetic, and I love that. Like you pointed out, people are getting kind of chariots of the gods. Thank you so much, Chariots of the gods, child. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're practically falling out of the damn, you know, falling out of the skies. <laughs> oh no, so they're falling out of the skies all the time, child. They practically own all of South America. All right. <laughs> <laughs> for the you know, for those thing fans out there, um, but uh, but like you said, it seems like there's kind of like a, a kind of a shift to kind of embrace the oh like the old aesthetic, like like the the uh, the classic aesthetic or the nostalgia aesthetic, because I think people are getting a little worn out with you know the 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 trough of CGI bupkis that's getting getting kind of like you know f- you know churned yeah. at us all the time. So you know March twenty second. I
1: mean, it's hard because you can't do you can't do tropes for a long time and expect people to like stay interested in them. And I know it's kind of obvious, but I mean more like, Hey, if we do a bunch of these supernatural movies, we're eventually going to run out of plot line. So like taking it all the way back to something like this and they keep missing it. They keep, they keep going back, but they keep missing grindhouse. And I'm like, can we just do some more grindhouse? Like where's Quentin Tarantino? And so I'm hoping we get some more of that, you know, some death proof um, esque Movies coming out because I do miss those. uh What was that? That was like mid 2010s, wasn't it? Was that when yeah. Death Proof came out, that was that was a good time. There's a quick little clip of like some good grindy movies, and then they kind of disappeared again. So hopefully we can kind of just like clothing's doing now, go back to the 90s and work our way back up to the 2010s. Oh man, yeah, you
0: know, it's it's it's, it's going to be. I mean, it's it's only going to take you know that right turn and people start busting out their jinkos again.
1: I promise I, you. I'm I'm waiting.
0: We just just. got hers out. She's got her get pair. Some, She's like get some oh, drip the pants. Get my got
1: jinkos. The, like, got the jinkos.
0: Go. Got the jinkos ready to go. And for those who would like to know, um, the CEO. Uh, this is I found this interesting for late night with the devil. Stephen King was provided with an advanced screen of the film. Why? Because he's Stephen King. He's the fucking king of horror. <laughs> so he was pretty, because he's Stephen fucking King. Stephen King was provided an advanced screen of the film and he called it absolutely brilliant. I couldn't take my eyes off it. Your results may vary as they say, but I urge you to watch it when you can. So it has the Stephen King seal of approval. There you Which, go. You know,
1: can just be fucking wild sometimes. Some of the movies he says that he likes, is like, wait, what? And then he'll totally discount like a great movie. But hey, he, he knows he's the expert.
0: Aaron Ree says, Stranger Things can set off a retro wave. Absolutely. Because Stranger Things, which I'm re- I'm going to go and rewatch, uh, even though we're not going to get season five until I think 2025 now when the kids are yeah. like all 30 years old now. But uh, Stranger Things was like Steven Spielberg and Stephen King got together and had this love child that was like, uh, like that literally was its only function was to like, punch my nostalgia button at every single frame, which is yep. what it did. And I was just like, you know, I fell in love with that franchise. Not to mention, come on, you know, you know, I, I'm not wearing my Hellfire Club shirt, but, I mean, <laughs> Eddie, uh, Eddie shredding Metallica. I mean, it doesn't get, you know, just like, I was like, ah!
1: <laughs> yes!
0: Amazing. Uh Little- a movie.
1: Oh, go ahead.
0: Oh, so Little Wolf. Machete Don't Tweet. Remember, <laughs> Machete Don't Tweet. Is it. I think
1: goes. <laughs> uh, There was a movie that came out. We're gonna play. uh We're gonna play this game. There's a movie that came out. I think it was like. I think it was called like 1984 or something. Maybe 1983. I don't know. There was a milk carton on the the front of the movie. Summer of 84. Out.
0: Summer of 84. There
1: you go. Yeah, there. you yeah. nailed it. All right. I, yeah, was, I, I, okay, I said that, that to you. back one that's, yeah, right. Said, yeah, I, that's yeah. right
0: yeah i was like dude you gotta watch this movie it's yep. fucking amazing no, and then you crazy. like and then you messaged me like the, like the next day he was like holy <laughs> shit that movie was great summer of 84 was fucking amazing
1: yeah me and my wife were yeah. talking about it for a while after that because that was that was good
0: really really yeah that was a, that was a solid one all right well uh i know eugene is not here yet um i don't know if he's gonna be able to make it but we got i mean it's like we're 45 minutes into the show we haven't talked about a fucking movie yet and <laughs> yo Alex will tell us what, do you, what, what is it you always say. What, what is it you always remind me of?
1: This is a fucking horror movie podcast, and <laughs> I'm talking about movies. Something's wrong.
0: See, you weren't here earlier to remind me of that, so I actually did like I actually did like <laughs> a fucking <laughs> I did I did a fucking home improvement deal. I was talking about my favorite power tools. You know, uh, and I tried to give it a horror slant, but you know, I'm tired. it was like, I went on that rant, then I went on a rant. I went on a rant about Eli Roth. Went on a rant about home improvement tools. Which ones are the best? Fucking Milwaukee, what? Milwaukee. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It depends
1: if you're on a job site using them every single day. Absolutely, Milwaukee's going to be the way to go. I'm I'm a DeWalt um junkie because you see, it's just just great.
0: Everyone's got it's, their shit, man. Like everything was your dad a DeWalt user?
1: over? It's just DeWalt.
0: Was your was your dad a DeWalt user? Yes, my dad my was, in Milwaukee, my dad was in Milwaukee. Yeah, my first no, drill that I got was Milwaukee from my Milwaukee power tools, Milwaukee power tools, and Husky Husky uh, hand yep. tools. That's fair. That's fair. Yep. There you go. So little yeah, old deal. It's, Finford!
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's better ones out there. It's just what I'm familiar with. It's why I, why I drive a Dodge Ram. I've always driven a Dodge Ram. <laughs> I know how to fix them.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we do have horror movies to talk about, uh, talk about tonight. Uh, we've gone through it uh, through it all. So let us know down in the comments below if you're looking forward to Late Night with the Devil. Uh, love that teaser right there. So let us know down there or at WeCanHorrorGmail.com what you think. Uh, I loved it. So definitely uh, we want your thoughts on that. But, yeah, uh, you, uh, uh, bleh, Alex, since you're here, why don't you kick us off? So, oh, Sarcasm says TP9000 made by Milwaukee for those tough to polish shirts. It is absolutely <laughs> Milwaukee. I should have put the Milwaukee. But now, I probably they probably get mad if I put the Milwaukee brand on it, but it's definitely a Milwaukee tool. So, but yeah, yeah, kick us off, Alex. What do we got up first?
1: All right, let's do this. Let's go back to the 80s, actually. I love that fucking era, man. Gosh, uh, we're going to do Evil Speak. <laughs> it's just the best. I uh, wasn't there. I wish I was. Uh, February 26, 1982. We got Evil Speak.
0: I wanted to let you say
1: it. Oh, oh, shit. Uh, Roll the tear, tube. Yes! All right. So this was uh, directed by Eric Weston, written by Joseph Garofalo. Nope. Garofalo. There we go. I got it. Um, This one was starring Clint Howard, Joe Cortesi, R.G. Armstrong, Claude Earl Jones. I'm sorry, I've been talking all day. My face is numb. (laughs) Don Stark, Hamilton Camp, Charles Tyner. um, I slew other people that get absolutely brutally fucking murdered. So the trailer pretty much gives most of it away. There's a cadet that is picked on by all of his classmates at military school. And he uh, finds a way to tap into a 16th century satanic priest and with his help, then just brutally fucking decimates everybody that bullied him. Um, mostly, mostly just the fucking gore, gore porn. It's <laughs> just torture it's, porn. It's, it's...
0: Okay. So I, I, I got to say, I've just, I, fu- uh, I fucking love this movie. And I know a lot of people in the live chat love it as well. I mean, essentially, if you did not get a chance to watch Evil Speak, how could you pot? The, the only way I could sum this movie up. It's like if the '80s gave us Revenge of the Nerds meets John Wick meets End of Days, starring that's
1: that's perfect. (laughs) I know,
0: starring Clint Howard in the in the lead role and fucking Richard Mall as a hardcore Satanist satanic priest. (laughs) <laughs> you know, human sacrifice. All this shit. The film itself opens up, yeah, you know, with Richard Mall lopping some girl's head off in a sacrifice. It's like that's that's like the first five minutes, like less than five minutes. It's like ha oh, yeah. ha, and then evil speak. I was like, holy shit, this <laughs> is fucking amazing. <laughs> so, oh, but man, that the that uh, there's a reason why this film was considered one of the evil, one of the one of the evil video nasties, video banned. nasties. Yeah. yeah, that was banned ba- banned in the UK in the eighties. And obviously, you know, rips directly off of uh, the satanic panic that was going on. The, you know, the the whole big thing, you know, where everybody was up in arms against, you know, the, uh, the the rumors of satanic human sacrifice and all kinds of weird shit and that, you know, that no evidence was ever found of. It's just a rumor they got out of control, mass hysteria. And that also gave us a slew of horror films. That came along to kind of like capitalize on that national and that that kind of national or international fear, and this one happened to along that combined both the uh, the that ancient terror, yeah, you know, that speaks that speaks to so many people on a primal level, and juxtaposed it against you know advancing technology because at the time. The technology that, that was being utilized in this, even though to us it's it's quaint, you know, they're just like, oh, look at that, look at that, you know, the fucking, and you hear like the printer going off, so it's, but at the time, holy shit, you know, this is an absolute gem of one of the, of the video nasties that came out, one not to be missed, I love this, Aaron Reese says, say it ain't so bull, yes, that was bull from Night Court, fucking Richard Mall, just kicking like, ass Casey group said "Dungeons and dragons was devil worship absolutely you know mazes and monsters with tom hanks you know yep. but that fucking movie oh holy shit i haven't watched that forever you know i think it's because even though tom hanks gives it his all gives it his all and it said where am i oh i don't know what's happening that always is just so cringe but nonetheless i fucking love this movie it is brilliantly shot well well paced and clint Howard, Ron Howard's brother, yes, for the, for, uh, I saw somebody ask that, was that, was that, uh, Ron Howard's brother, yes, um, Clint Howard, fucking killing it, just fucking killing it, and in, in this role, in his vulnerable moments, you know, it's like I said, it's like a revenge of the nerds, but, you know, it's, you know, he, holy shit, the, the, the range on that man is phenomenal, and, you know, he showed he's just, just as much, uh, acting prowess as his brother Ron, and then of course Richard Maul killing it as well, being, you know, like just creepy as fuck. But uh yeah, Tang Whistle brings up it's like the boy version of Carrie kind of. Yeah, you can say that. Yeah. The bullied kid getting revenge on that. Only instead of, you know, what is Carrie was like TKing everything as she burned, the, she burned the gym down and like, you know, it was like, you know, t- telekinesis everywhere. This cat came up like fucking, ah, oh, I was flying around. It was, like, ah, <laughs> oh. then like just lopping people's fucking heads, splitting their shit like goddamn melons. Oh, fucking love it, man! That was great. It. it was great. That ending you know, sequence is just like, and you know, and that whole wide shot, that wide shot of the fucking church in flames, the fucking cross. You know, you knew it was going to go off when the crucifix is up there, and like the the like the the nail in the hand shoots uh-huh. off and it hits the dude the Thanks. fucking head and it kills. Like, now we're getting blasphemous. That this is fucking amazing.
1: I'm like, yeah, no, no, holding no punches at this point. Like, let's go. No, when they they pull a shot, you know the 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 cross is going to be later in the movie when they pull the shot of the cross, right? Um, and then and then you're like, wait, what's going to happen with that? And then, yeah, that was great. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Sarge, fucking Sarge. Um,
0: the, the setup was brilliant, and I mean, I I the, okay, so this is the kill. I was like, yeah, when you would this is the thing that, that that gets me is that with a film like this, labeled a video nasty in the eighties, and then automatically it gets kind of like, you know, it gets this black mark against its name, a black mark against the entire film before it ever came out. So it right. eventually because of that, because of where the status quo was at the time for the film industry, and just where kind of like, you know, the media had kind of trumped these things up to the point that people were terrified of them and then that the censorship was going on in the UK, this film got relegated to cult classic status. Honestly, it should be it should be required viewing for anybody who loves the 80s. That shower scene and, and the way the utilization of practical effects in this is phenomenal. You know, rarely, you know, getting, getting live animals, especially fucking what looked like, you know, 250 pound boars or like, you know, boars to do what they did in such close quarters and, and, you know, not put the actor at risk what is it, the, the way they pull these things off. The, the practical effects in that is amazing stuff because they have multiple sequences where, you know, where, where boars are eating people alive and shit. And yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 issue being is that there are so many fantastic moments in the film, both from a production and from an acting standpoint, that the vast majority of people missed this out. This film challenged the status quo to the point that we actually, that the, that the public didn't get their hands on what was probably one of the best films of that time, De- definitely of 82, uh, best horror oh, films sure. of the time, because of the imagery and because how terrified people were of it, but... Clint Howard is amazing. He runs the whole sequence. And you feel like rarely do you see a video nasty where you really identify with the protagonist to that degree. You can get like Carrie, you know, bullied and it sucks. And then she goes all freaking TK and kills everyone. I get that. But with this one, the level of of psychological and physical abuse that his character receives... To the point that he gets driven into the, like, you know, to utilizing the satanic power to, to achieve his ends. You know, plus the whole sequence with the dog. And oh. it's all you know, it's fucked up beyond beyond respect. And then yeah. how how Clint Howard internalizes that as an actor, how his character internalizes that and drives him over the edge just gets me. The only thing missing was, you know, the 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 girl was like a girl betrayal. Like Carrie was betrayed by the guy. The only thing right. it was it was that, but that just makes him more alone. He's all on his like one friend who's kind of there but not really. So, you know, it's it's brutal. You know, it was a br- it's a brutal film that I think speaks a lot to uh the disenfranchised. It really really does. That goes to show like really the internalization of psychological trauma and physical trauma that a lot of people go through that I don't think gets enough uh don't think you know gets enough credit. And it goes we we follow that experience with Clint Howard so much we miss that. Because people were so fucking terrified of you know of the religious shenanigans or the the blasphemous imagery of the uh, of the uh, the film. So, but <laughs> fucking hell, man, this would this was a goddamn gem. The
1: fucking Fred, man, the dog that that was that yeah, yeah it's hard. It is it's John Wick esque, but it uh, the fucking boars. That one scene where the the boars are overtaken and but uh, Bubba Bubba gets away. And then Sarge is like, nah, bro. Sorry, I'm taking it. And then it
0: just rips his fucking, like, just straight up. Oh, fantastic moment. It's like, it's like, he's like, oh, I escaped. And then, and then Sarge stands up. Is like, I thought you were dead. He's like, no. Nope. <laughs> Agent of the devil. Oh,
1: oh that's great. No, it yeah. It, it, the video nasties thing, I always thought it was so funny because it was like the UK. And it was like, really? We're going to listen to them again? And then no, I'm just kidding.
0: But it, it was just they, uh, ruined a kicker on this that that's what was interesting. What was interesting to me was the, is is that how smartly written this film was because XJ, Hey, X J. Good to see you. We're on the first film of tonight. Evil speak. So the interesting thing about this film, what got me is how smartly it was written. And the, the, the key point that they make is that the, the, the spirit of the satanic priest or whether it's the devil himself or whatever masquerading as priest, whatever it happens to be. It makes a point, the film makes a point that this entity or whatever this power is, is manipulating Cooper Smith into doing what it wants, into getting it to his point. And we see this because as the audience, we are privy to information that Stanley is not privy to. So we get to see what's going on and we see that this entity is deliberately deliberately manipulates a, a couple of events in order to trigger Stanley to get him To do to get him to ultimately become like the avatar for it for it, you know, at the end to set up the whole climax of the film. Which is essentially the writer saying that it's not about the blasphemy, it's about the idea of disenfranchised and ostracized individuals looking for anything to connect to, and how ultimately powerful ideologies will prey upon those individuals because they are not preying upon them because they're they're preying upon them because they're in a state of weakness, because they are. Desperately seeking connection, def- desperately seeking community, someone to validate their very existence, and that these in the, like these ideas, whether it be religion or you know even Satanism in that respect, still, still you know the religious ones, but in that respect, that's what the commentary is about. Disenfranchised, lonely, angry, ostracized. Unvalidated individuals who are at the end of their ropes are the ones that are targeted by these, and they are manipulated into doing these things in order to because they get that validation and they crave it so badly. That's the commentary of the film. It's not about how Satanism is good and it's powerful and it lets you do shit. It's about how fucking predatory ideologies are. That's Bro, the kicker. Now, I'm now I don't most- want to say that I don't want to say that, that played into why it was why it was you know censored. You know, I don't want to play into that, but people didn't get that message, which they missed that opportunity at the time, which fucking just gets me.
1: And you can't, you can't look past the fact that it was probably made out worse than it actually was specifically because of that. I mean, yeah, Yeah. you got a weak, vulnerable, you know, person, I guess at this point, but they're going to latch on. Like you said, they're going to latch on to anything that validates them at all. And that's Mm -hmm. dangerous. That is dangerous information to the powers that be so yeah no that's absolutely and it, it, it wasn't it wasn't drowned out by anything else it was very blatant that that's what was going on so it was, right. you know there wasn't some convoluted backstory that made it seem like you had to find that it was like no this is look you got this person at the end of their rope they got nobody else to hold on to big bad comes in with a with a hand extended and takes them on a fucking bloody journey and, right you know all it took was a little pat on the head and you know, good job, champ. And that was that was off to the races.
0: Throw him a bone, validate his shit, and yep. you know, and I also found it kind of cool that um because one of my favorite films that came out in the last tail of the last like 15 or those last 10 years was uh Knights of Bad Astom. And I <laughs> recognize that Knights of Bad Astom uh took that imagery of the book returning to its owner. Uh right. like the whole thing where the book disappears from the rednecks and appears back in the van. Use that same imagery from *Evil Speak*, where the book, you know, after the uh, the teacher, after the uh, the secretary gets mauled to death, eaten alive by boars in her fucking shower, which is just you know fucking crazy. But then, <laughs> and then, but then the book disappears and returns back to Stanley. He's like, "Where the you?" Because know, she stole the book from him. So I love that it's inspired horror from that from this point on. That, uh, the, that directors are aware of it and filmmakers are aware of this film and see that inspiration. Plus, you get to see you know Richard Mall stepping out. We 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 uh, we watched another film that he would, that he played a bad guy in that had Vincent Price in it, and uh, where he played a, a killer like a murderous orderly. Um, but I love seeing him in this one, and he was fantastic. I, you know, it's just you know, hard fucking hardcore. And, uh, so Joshua Lee brings up a question. This is going to lead us to our CTA that, uh, that Alex is going to give us. Joshua Lee says, I take it. Things don't end well for the protagonist at the end. And sarcasm answers that he ends up in asylum for the duration. See, this is interesting. So at the end of it, Stanley winds up, like he winds up like catatonic, like, uh, from the, like the trauma of what I've seen, of these people eating alive, like as the only survivor of the, of the church fire. There was a fire in the church. Everybody died. And then Stanley's like, oh, so they put him in an asylum because he, he's, like, rendered, like, you know, catatonic, like, psychologically, you know, broken. But at the end, because we've gotten these clips all throughout the movie where Richard Malls character, the priest, is kind of like where, where he says, you know, I will return. Like, that was the end the feel. It was like, I will return. Yeah, I will not stay dead. like this. But then at the end, instead of him, it's Stanley. Stanley says, you know, the, the, yeah. the thing, Prince Edward says, Stanley, so I will return, Stanley will return. So that's interesting.
1: And he's, and he's not at the asylum when he says it. He's, at the, he's in the cellar.
0: Oh, well, yeah, and the, kind of like the, the denouement. The denouement, right. and it was like where basically, you know, so like, the computer comes up and then Stanley will return in that respect. So that's kind of like what I want to ask because the film sets it up. Like blatantly I will return. Or a sequel. Like it instead of it, like like Stanley Cooper Smith story is not done,
1: and we're doing the fucking eighties movies, eighties type, seventies eighties movies. I I don't know. What do you guys think? Should there be a sequel? Audience. I think there should be. I think this is. I think there's. I want to see it pick
0: up. Yes, I want to see it pick up. Even if due to Clint's advanced age, even if it, yeah that were the case, to at least have him back for a sequel in which he's connect where his character is connected to it even if they bring in someone younger right or this evil to like jump a, with yeah like a kid
1: or like a grandkid or something that could bring it right in and it got passed down and he, he's like i thought i suppressed it or whatever you know something they got a million ways they could well not a million but they, they got a lot of ways they could go with it so what do you guys think you think there should be a sequel to this those who watched it let us know in the comments below or at week and whore at gmail.com
0: we think yes. We think yes. Think so. sto- that, that that the story of Stanley Cooper Smith should be finished. And obviously, I think you know, personally, I think Stanley needs to die in the film, but it needs to pick up like somebody new. Like somebody new comes along, some new disenfranchised kid stumbles upon it, finds the book. It's finds connected the to diary, Stanley. Yeah. Finds a diary, opens up, begin begins playing with it. That's what wakes up Stanley out of his deal. Or maybe he goes to visit Stanley and brings the book with him. <clears throat> and for like the first time in years, Stanley we, we, you know, he like, Oh, the book and he like freaks out and like that. Who knows? I could see Clint Howard taking that in a number of ways. So oh, I think sure. absolutely the film should continue. It absolutely should. That there needs to be a sequel to this. Uh, it's, it's a reboot, if not a sequel. But I think a reboot would do a disservice to the original. I think there should be connective tissue there. So I'm thinking yeah. a sequel. Absolutely. All Maybe right. call it like
1: Speak Evil or something.
0: Evil Speak 2 or something. I don't <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know. But, uh, but yeah. All right, dude. Okay, I'm drawing a i am drawing I'm drawing a line in the fucking sand. Do not read the Latin. <laughs> don't be like no, you me. always read the Latin. He's like, it's oh, it's in Latin. Oh, I speak Latin. Okay, I'm drawing a line in the fucking sand. Do not speak the Latin. <laughs> do not read the fucking Latin. Just don't do it. All right, let's move on to our second film of the night, our second one. Um let me see here. 1, second. Let me make sure I have got this up. Yes. Uh released February 27th, 2004, we have the horror film, the prison set horror film, Unspeakable. Let's check out this clip or check out this trailer. Cue up the terror tube. Get it. All right, so that was the trailer for Unspeakable, um, or as Sarcasm said, it should have been named Unwatchable, but we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> Uh, unspeakable, uh, directed by Thomas J. Wright and written by Pavan Grover who also stars in it. So, uh, but yes, uh, the film, um, stars Pavan Grover, uh, Marco Rodriguez, Dina Meyer, Lance Hendrickson, Dennis Hopper, Jeff Fahey, Jonathan Levitt, Michelle Wolf, Miguel Perez, and Irene Dabari and and marco Marco rodriguez if i if I didn't mention that so um the film follows a uh scientist played by Dina Meyer, who uses technology to peer into the minds of death row inmates after selecting one sociopath, a serial killer played by Pavin Grover. She learns of his extrasensory abilities and much much more um and shit kind of gets real to uh to quote uh Eugene here sort of in a way, so the film is uh so, so that looked yeah so. The, um, yes, Sir Kevin says, unspeakable suffered from a severe case of where are we going with this? So, the film itself is (laughs) kind of like lauded as a spin on Beauty and the Beast, which just because there's a pretty girl and a monstrous person, and they kind of like dance around each other in this weird, like, terrified sexual tension, that's about as far as it goes. There is no allusions to the fairy tale in, in that respect, but um, what I got, essentially what I got out of this movie, it's basically just like, you know, scientists uses technology to confirm and basically winds up confirming the existence of the supernatural because that's essentially what, what, uh, the character Jesse Mowat is. And the movie doesn't really, it doesn't really go anywhere. Unfortunately, it sets it up to go somewhere, but then it, it like gets to the ball and then it doesn't know what to do. So it just kind of, like, meanders there until eventually it ends. And But what we do get, what we absolutely do get is a large cast of characters. I mean, a surprisingly large cast. Dina Meyer from Starship Troopers fame, saw a number of films you've seen her in. You know, legendary Lance Hendrickson, fucking Dennis Hopper, you know, Jeff Fahey, uh, Marco Rodriguez, who's been in, you know, like, you remember him from The Crow. He was in the original Crow, you know? So a bunch of people in this that you see and everybody doing it. Like the performances was everybody doing their best at what they do. Dina Meyer, strong yet vulnerable. We see that in virtually every role she does. She plays strong woman who's able to be vulnerable, but able to be strong when necessary. She plays that balance very well. That's what Dina Meyer does. Dennis Hopper manic. Basically, <laughs> basically Dennis Hopper, Dennis yeah. Hopper being Dennis Hopper, it's what he's doing. Jeff Fahey, you know, with that kind of like you know, un, you know, kind of like uh, that, that, that kind of like cool, collected, you know, like uh, venomous, you know, people where he's like, there's underneath, but he's always able to keep it really kind of like kind of chill, you know, the same thing mm-hmm. where he's that that almost kind of like quiet energy, very similar to his role in Lawnmower Man, just kind of like recopying that same formula. Fucking Lance Hendrickson. I shit you not, channeling Frank Black from Millennium. Yep. <laughs> that was that was fucking Frank. Down to the timber of his voice. That was Frank Black.
1: Yeah. So you
0: got Lance Hendricks doing Frank Black, which he's done before. Everybody doing what they do naturally. Lance Hendrickson, Dina Meyer, Dennis Hopper, just being, you know, fucking Dennis Hopper. That's you know, because that's Dennis Hopper. You know, even you know whatever. So Hopper was you know, Hopper was fucking you know, just, uh, Sir Kevin says, Oh yeah, Hopper was fucking amazing. It was just a shit script. It was a shit script, a terribly written it, script.
1: It wasn't. Uh, I mean, it wasn't starting out <laughs> like the whole premise behind it was pretty fucking cool and i can't remember i think one of the people that was writing it or directed it or something was a physician So I was like okay cool there's gonna be a lot of like you know deep thought into this and it's like oh my god we can read the minds and then it was like oh my god that's that's all they're gonna do okay all right
0: well i found it intriguing that Pavin grover um who is not a, not an actor by trade Right. actually gave one of the more nuanced performances. Now, then again, he wrote it. You know, it's it's essentially kind of like his movie. You right. know, like he's starring as like the, the main bad guy. And even as the main bad guy, his more vulnerable moments were far more nuanced than anybody else's. It's weird to kind of like, like, oh, wow. He kind of like captured a scene because his command of his dialogue was actually not bad. You can tell he was the writer because he's familiar with where he wants these characters to be he's the guy who wrote it so he knows exactly what his character's intentionality is so right. like it's literally kind of translating through his performance everyone else has to pick up the script read the script interpret it in a way that matches kind of what Pavin wants but may not be what he envisioned completely so there's that slight degree of offsetness that it's like well that's almost there but the only person who's on point like on point with the dialogue is Pavin. That's cause he fucking wrote it. So, cause he knows it. That was it. So it was he kind of had that. Yeah. It was his idea. So in that respect, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a, it's a weird fucking movie that I think I agree with you that the premise was not bad, you know, no. it's and, like I,
1: uh, what was the one fucking mirror movie um, or like Oculus or like, you know, it starts out with a good idea and then just kind of fucking spirals. And then half the time, nothing makes any sense. And you're like, or uh, sell,
0: I think sell, yeah. which kind of rips yeah. off that with the, the, uh, the J-Lo, with the J-Lo orphan with her and Vince Vaughn and Vince D'Onofrio, you
1: yeah, know, an sure.
0: amazing fucking movie, both from a storyline wise, even though it's complete and total fucking science fiction, but still right. in this kind of futuristic, you know, setup where we can enter people's dreams shit pre inception. You know, right. this idea that of entering into the mind of a serial killer, of a vicious, like, really fucked up serial killer. And then seeing what's going on in there, how he compartmentalizes his shit, how he kind of partitions off sections of his mind for the different aspects of himself. That's fascinating shit. And it was, you know, it was gory. It was horrible. It was just fascinating to watch, beautifully shot, and a wonderful story before J-Lo, you know, you know, swallowed her own hype. You know, back when she was just an actress and Vince Vaughn and Vincent D'Onofrio fucking, D'Onofrio fucking killing it in that movie. This movie rips off that. Absolutely. But does not have the, the, I don't think has the, it had the budget to accomplish something to that degree. You know, when you're talking about entering into people's minds, all we get is because essentially with, with Cell, you got these beautiful moments where you can go into the landscape of the mind. And yeah, a lot of it was CGI, but a lot of it was on location shooting when they're out in the desert or when they're in the, on a particularly you know, beautiful set. But with this one, they don't have that kind of money. So all we get when we're getting flashes of his mind is r- quick, heavily edited recuts of actual footage from the film. Just replaying again right. from the exact same angle of the film. Like, wait a minute, that, that was a scene that was earlier in the movie and we're just getting a replay <laughs> of it. It's just, that's how you kind of do that. And- it was budget and ultimately writing that kind of hindered this one. Um, unfortunately, I think that yeah. just kind of drew it back because it's such a waste of a guy. Though I did like seeing Lance Hendrickson kind of like at back as Frank. This could technically be like an X Files episode or a Millennium <laughs> episode. It really could. Like, if this was, if you made Frank Black the lead. Yeah, you know, and then connected this to the Millennium Group, which would be so fucking easy because this guy could be like the Millennium Group's version of the of the Antichrist, and then Frank is brought in like out of retirement to deal with it. This. this could be a fucking Millennium movie, really good. You could know? you and imagine
1: Frank, if just Frank Black just walks in like, wait, hold, hold, oh <gasps> no, it could have been could have been trained You yeah,
0: know, bring someone in uh, that he that he met through his you know through the when he was investigating Millennium Group, bring someone who can actually has a device that can read memories or maybe even a psychic themselves. That would be fascinating. This should have been like a millennium film. It really could have been, or a Frank Black film. So,
1: that's uh, yeah. And like you said, I mean, I think this one was only budgeted estimated at like two million. Which, as you know, movie money is not real money. So you've got right. some big names in there, and and it's only a two million dollars. Yeah, they probably had a budget restriction. Pretty, it's probably pretty constrained. So you run into that. And uh, uh, I saw somebody was saying asking what uh time crunch numerous edits there was a lot of stuff you could tell were just big edits and it seemed like a lot of stuff was cut out at the end i didn't do too much digging into the production of it but it seems like a lot of stuff got cut out because they went in directions and then they'd stop they'd go in another direction and it was just it it was confusing and yes i i said something about oculus and i'm getting shit on in the live chat
0: (laughs) It was um it was it was very much like a game of snake is what the film kind of felt like, yeah. and I'm thinking that <clears throat> typically when you see things like that like that happen, I'm not saying that this is what happened on the set because there's not a lot of details out about it because it was kind of no, like not a, at all it was a blink and you miss it movie, yeah. but there may have been complications between the director and the writer considering the writer's a star and so as the writer he will have input into the character that may not match what the director is interpreting. And so since the director's the head Honcho, but this is the writer, he knows the characters well enough. It's hard not to, to it's hard not to remember your place. Now, if Pavan was directing it, that would be a different story. But as not the director, director has final say. If there is complications right. between them, that if Pavan takes in a direction that doesn't work for what the director wants, if he refuses to budge and to adjust his performance to match the tone of the rest of the film, then you have to edit around it. And that may be why we get that. Why we get that, that, that weird, you know, uh, tone balance in the movie where it's like playing a game of Snake. ah, uh, 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 trying to get around, you know? And so there's a lot, there's so many things that I think, we're, and plus, I'm not a huge fan of utilizing hot button topics for forced effect. You know, I don't. I like it when, if there's gonna be a hot button topic and it centers around, if it, and the film is centered around that, use that as a jumping point, that's fine. I get that because it can use a horrific, you can use a horror story to emphasize or to basically kind of like take this cultural hot this cultural hot button topic and, you know, put that to the forefront. I like that as a reflection of our society. But using them to force narrative, to basically using hot button topics to push narrative, I'm not a fan of that because it, I think it devalues the the effect that horror can have in bringing these things up, much as satire does, much as things like like, you know, like, uh, last night to uh, like, like last night or la- last week tonight with John Oliver used a set or the daily show uses a satire to bring political things or, you know, like social things, social you know uh, issues uh, to the forefront so that we can talk about them. Horror does the same thing. And so unfortunately they use way too many things in here to kind of like push, you know, push the narrative forward by saying, ah, let you know, let, let's, Rest our rest our laurels upon these big hot button topics, and I really did. I didn't dig that. Starting first and foremost with the argument about right to life, or you know, like you know, the death penalty advocates and death pay people against it. That's a big thing in it. You know, the whole death penalty thing, but because they address it, but they never they use it. Like here's a topic, and we're going to run off that, but they, it doesn't inform anything. No. The the structure is Dina Meyer and Pav. The relationship between Dina and Pavin. With, you know, Frank Black as the angel and Dennis Hopper as the devil on your shoulder, you know, the devil on your shoulder, these two playing off of, playing off of one another, and then Dean and Pavin playing, it. so it's like, you get that cross, but the whole, like, hot and button topics are just there to kind of, like, create tension underneath. You know, which is just, I uh, just devaluing and, and and unnecessary. It's lazy fucking writing, is what it is. It's right, exactly. Lazy. Yeah, it's you're
1: using you're using those topics to do your writing, and it's like it, you're, it's filler at that point. Like you said, yeah. it's not it's not actually bringing any in, informative stances on anything. Just like yeah, right. yeah, it was it was yeah. like you said, it was blink, it was blinking. You miss a movie, wasn't. Uh, it was uh, who said it? Something fucking horrible. It was it was wasn't a good movie. I didn't like it.
0: Yeah. Sir Kaz says they never explain the damn worm, the mealworms. The mealworms get yeah. used for so much. They never explained it could have turned into a creature feature in Act Three. Probably would have been better. Just basically that he had the psychic ability to put worms in people's heads. It's pretty much yeah. all that is. Yeah. Like what's with, the some, bug, what's with the
1: bugs in the brain? The like, whole set. This. The
0: whole. The whole setup of that was so that they could do an autopsy scene on the warden on Dennis Hopper's character who rips his own face off. They could do an autopsy scene cut up in this fake skull and as oh a worm in the brain oh do like that and then uh, there's pretty much that the. the, the the whole Worms thing was just to set that up. That's all that yeah. was, you know, and, yeah. uh, but nonetheless, um, <laughs> Extra J says, I always loved Dennis Hopper at 11. Blue Velvet, Frank Booth. i drink a PBR with him. Uh, I I wouldn't, because Frank <laughs> Booth was fucking scary.
1: <laughs> the terrifying <laughs> Frank man. Frank
0: Booth was terrifying. So <laughs> the question that I want to ask is really not much about this movie, but the question that I want to ask the audience is, of the the of the, the huge names in this cast, Dina Meyer, Lance Hendrickson, uh freaking Jeff Fahey, Dennis Hopper, of the big names that were in this cast, who among them was your fa is your favorite? Because I have a favorite amongst all of them. And I think you know who it is. But I want to know who your favorite in the cast is. Like who do you like to see? Everyone turned in decent performances. They're pretty much doing what they do. You know, this that's kind of like their baseline. You know, it's like that that's what they do strongest. So that's what they're gonna turn in. You know, even Dennis Hopper just is like, oh, okay. So read the script. Oh, so I just get to be myself. Yeah, pretty much. When you hired Dennis Hopper, you knew what you were going to get. So, but let us know down in the comments below or at WeekendHorrorGmail.com who your favorite in the cast was of those names that were there. Um, Sir Sir Little Wolf says, Dina Meyer. Very cool. Awesome. Tony regime says jail chooses Lance. Dude, it's going to be Lance Hendrickson all fucking day long. It, I don't, uh-huh. your, your, your product is automatically elevated by putting Lance Hendrickson in it. It absolutely yeah. is. I have seen terrible movies salvaged solely by the presence of that man. You know, just, just like lift is like, we're going to lift it up just above the breakwaters, Just, we just to get advantage. it up off
1: the ground. Just, just to it, get it yeah. off
0: the ground. Just kind of like, you know, skiffing right there because of Lance Hendrickson sarcastle dennis did the damn thing yes he did oh josh lee says dennis hopper cindy seuss says dennis hopper sigh was he supposed to be scary i think he was just supposed to be a lunatic <laughs> and Aaron reese says lance duh jesus yeah obviously lance <laughs> Hendrickson. but let us know in the comments below or we can order gmail.com who your favorite in the cast was i'm curious as you who who's the bigger the fan draw in this movie all right so let's move on to our next one but this is a fascinating little entry so what do we got
1: I, this this is one that i can say that i had never even heard of prior to us talking about it so uh yeah you're not you're not wrong this was fun this is going to be the walking dead but from february 29th 1936 36 let's throw the tear tube in the way back machine let's go
0: keep All away right. keep away keep away from me keep away don't look at me like that i'm boris karloff how else am i supposed to look I at you? Do, how would you <laughs> like me to look at you this is, this is my face
1: he doesn't even have makeup for this shit uh this is great directed by michael Curtiz, written by iwar adamson peter Mullaney. Millaney. <laughs> i've been watching some john Mullaney. peter milney uh and robert hardy andrews this is starring obviously uh Uh, boris karloff as the john elman ricardo cortez edmund gwen marguerite churchill warren hall barton mclean um this follows john elman who was convicted of murder actually framed for murder uh and then tried and sentenced to death but some evidence comes out proving that he's innocent but it's too late and there's a scientist who thinks there's a bunch of scientists let's this it's when this started i was like um jeff goldblum jurassic park they're like we can reanimate the dead it's like yeah but should you and that's really the premise of the whole story and uh it's fun because it's not just straight up murder he never like really becomes a murderer uh he you know, guilt kind of fucks over the people that fucked him over which is pretty cool i like that i like that story arc but uh, yeah, so goes around talking. He just wants to know. He just wants to know why did you have me killed? And
0: uh... and the fact that he's back, you know, and the the whole like the crow, the, there ain't no coming back. There ain't no coming back, <laughs> like motherfuckers, like shit like that. I it, it's no, definitely. Dude, Definitely influences of Poe in that from Telltale. Heart. Oh, for sure, Telltale definitely heart. includes yeah. that the yeah. idea that one's own guilt, you know, thrown in their face when they're forced to fa- the forced to reckon with the consequences of what they've done, is that ultimately it is ourselves it, it is we that destroy ourselves. You yeah, know that exactly. we set the circumstances in motion for our for our own demises. Which is, and, and so it, it, I can see why Karloff was likely you know, why Karloff did the role because you know the script had that, but it's fa- it's fascinating because the film is obviously a i think a, a to put it in, you know to put it in uncertain terms kind of a stumbling frankenstein rip the Definitely. idea of a person brought back through you know you know through uh, medical means brought back to life and it's interesting because the film foreshadowed the arrival of the mecha- of the the mechanical heart of yeah. the artificial heart because yeah. this was 1936 when this dropped and the first functional mechanical heart utilized for patients when they were under surgery uh which essentially would eventually become the the uh the uh the bypass machines that we have today that first became functional uh in the 1950s so mm-hmm. 20 years ahead of its time it's bringing up the idea of mechanical intervention in order uh, by replacing body parts with with uh machines in order to keep people alive so they give Boris Karloff's character, uh, Elman, a mechanical heart, and it brings it back to life. But when he comes back, because he's been to the other side, he's <laughs> connected with his his uh, the, the killers, you know, the people who set him up on kind of a cycle. You know, he knows where they are and he goes to seek them out to find out why they did what they did. Like this kind of harbinger is like, why have you done this? And then they all like wind up walking in front of trains and shit, which, by the way, magnificent little shot. I yeah. loved that see that that looked really good for the 30s. I was like yeah. very impressive timing the ah the knockdown <laughs> with the train going by it was like really good. Um came back with divine knowledge of the specific individuals to set him up. So it's it's interesting. I think and one 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 interesting uh fa- facet of this is that Karloff immediately had an issue with the the comparisons to Frankenstein. Is like that was it, it was it's well known that when when he when he when he got when he took the role, uh, I think whether it was contractual obligation or not, but he took the role and immediately was pointing out to the director. There's a lot of a lot of similarities to this down to the point where the doctor literally says like use the stethoscope. He's alive. you know. I mean, <laughs> they copy it. You know, the only thing missing was the was the dreary castle. But in that respect, it's a Frankenstein rip. Karloff knew it. He knew it was. And he was instrumental in making alterations to the character so that it wouldn't automatically be seen as a Frankenstein rip. So which from rumor was, you know, kind of went against what the studio was trying to do. And so they it may have been a Frankenstein rip. That may have been intentional. Karloff, as a consummate professional, yeah, professional actor, was like, I don't, you know, why do Frankenstein again? Do something different, which is why we get the more vulnerable aspect of Ellsman, not the whole lumbering, you know, killer thing. We get the kind of like the ghost from the past, a guy who's the the shade of what he was, you know, coming back to revisit the individuals who wronged him and then them in a very, very Poe-esque way, meeting their demises without him having to lift a finger. That could have been really, really interesting. But I think in my eyes, this was, this was an effect of the code. I think the code is what harmed this film the most. What could have been a very interesting premise and you know t- and raise some interesting uh, some interesting ideas with the you know, life after death and the way people viewed religion back then and how you know these things informed society, informed our entertainment. The code had a massive effect on this movie. If this was pre code, we could have gone to some really darker territories, Lazarus oh, effect sure. style shit. We could right. have, and and I know and you could tell. That Karloff wanted to go there. Right. wanted to drag you to take it into that to that dark place that initiates thought and conversation. But I think because this was a post code, because the haze code was in effect, that it really kind of dragged it down.
1: It's there's so yeah exactly. There's so many things that you could have touched on, um, and, and they didn't because of that. But you know, it it comes down to the time, and even t- at the towards the end of the film when. Elman, he quotes the Bible and I can't remember what verse it is. Right, but yeah. about, about there being a jealous God and or like the Lord our God is a jealous God. It just, it, it was like uh, <laughs> they, they took all the bad out and then stuck a Bible verse in there. It was like well um, but it felt rushed to me honestly. I mean it, it was great. I, the whole thing was, it was a good idea. It could have been more but I, it felt really rushed to me hmm. and so I did some digging on on why that felt that way but um it i'm trying to find what year whatever the director they said that the director rushed this so that he could go on and do more important bigger films it was like a quote oh, wow. directly from uh curtis it was like uh okay yeah that makes sense but no being postcode and not being able to really dig into what this movie could have been very dark very poe very thought invoking as you said um it, it kind of fell short in that aspect now, like you said, a lot of the effects are really cool. The the way that Boris really made that character, like you said, not Frankenstein. They even had a a white streak in his hair. Like it was like, come on. But it just it it could have been more ripped, but it wasn't because Karloff really kind of took the stand there. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, it it was felt rushed to me.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> And pacing wise, kind of it drags in some areas, unfortunately, as yeah. sometimes you know films from the '30s are want to do in order to kind of like meet to meet their runtime. Um, this this kind of story would work just as well as like an Outer Limits or a Twilight Zone episode. It would have been it would have, it would have sat perfectly right in that field. The um, the kind of drag out to kind of, and and you know which gives Boris which you know not a problem. Boris Cola you know, it just it was amazing for the screen, but just spent a little bit too much time with boris karloff mean mugging and you know trying to focus on that whole like that you know to emphasize that connection between him and and him and his kill him and the people who set him up sarcasm brings up sarcasm brings up dickens's christmas carol but revenge as a motivation instead of behavior modification i would say uh more justice because he never actually does anything that these guys all fall prey to themselves yeah ultimately you know He, he's not, he's not, they themselves are the arbiters of their doom. Like he is not, he's there as the reminder, as the living reminder of the the living reminder of what they've done of their failings. But then you see how the Hayes code does, you know, gave us, gave us this need to put, I think the Bible verse obviously felt forced, you know, as he's like, you know, telling, Oh, he's you know, the God is a jealous God and that life and death is for his God's domain. Like that, that falls in line with the censors. Putting in that whole thing like, you know, like, that's the overarching message was this religious informed message while running off of a definitely the the macabre Poe inspired thing. So they utilized the popularity of Poe's message and then undercut it with this religious message that Poe never would have touched. No. You know, which disbalances the entirety of the film and creates a really weird dichotomy that you're you're there and and i think and i and i believe that Car- that carloff recognized that and just kind of like uh you know it's a you know and th- people said uh that it was a bad that it was just a bad story and i yep. but while the writing not great um carloff still brings it you know it's an enjoyable watch and but i think this this is an excellent example of how the code if you watch things from 33 from 33, 32, if you watch films like that and how far they were willing to go, how far they were able to go, and then you watch films post enforcement of the Hayes Code and how things changed so wildly, especially the big names, MGM, Warner Brothers, AIG, how that affected how writers could tell stories and how that ultimately we saw dragged things down. So if you want to see like, you know, Boris Karloff pre-code, watch his shit. When he's chucking motherfuckers off windmills and you know know, things going up in flames, and then you get code shit, you know, where it's kind of like you know Boris Karloff mean mugging from the corner.
1: Uh, You know, yeah, they just they try too hard to make something that's not scary scary, and it's like you got to use scary to tell scary. There's not much that they could have done. This was what thirty six, yeah. This is right after Hayes Code. So people yeah. are still even scared. They haven't really pushed the boundaries yet to see what they could get away with. And uh, it, it might it, it may have benefited from either being much earlier, 28, 29, or uh, a little bit later, because stuff did start to get a little bit more risque uh, in respects to the Hayes Code not long after this. Start getting into the 40s, mid-40s, late 40s. It starts okay, to kind yeah, of People started pushing.
0: Yeah, Maybe because it, it was su- it was such a hamstring to storytelling, yeah, like like what could be said. And writers were like, this is the, uh, you could just see writers in like the 30s, the 40s. And they fifties, like, this is fucking bullshit. This is bullshit. You know? and, and, just and,
1: see it it, and see if it works. And then they do it. And then you're like, oh, shit. OK, so we can get to, we can get away with everything up to this point. And then they keep pushing. So, yeah, eventually pushing and
0: pushing until talking. you have Alfred Hitchcock being like, fuck it. <laughs> like literally. Yeah. Fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. You know, it's like, you know, you take some names to come along and be like, yeah, this is bullshit. And I'm just not going to listen to it. I'm going to nope. do as I please. Thank you to those, uh, to those, you know, intrepid directors out there who were just like, this is some buttery bullshit. It was like, what about the code? Fuck the code, you know, know. fuck the code. Uh, Ro- <laughs> Rodillo's Same asks, did the crow rip this off? The idea of the dead returning for revenge is, is a tale as old as time. Tale as old, as, but it's a tale as old as time. Wow. <laughs> beauty and
1: the, uh, beauty of the beast kind of like, the piece there.
0: I know, right? So it's, it's an old tale, the dead coming back for revenge or for justice to enact justice because it's the OEO because it reinforces the idea that there is like this objective arbiter of justice that exists in the universe and those that are unjustly harmed will get the opportunity to exact their justice or their revenge in order to balance kind of like the universal scales that's you know an old old tale the crow is exactly what that tale is only instead of using like god and you know it really it uses the you know the the crow brings it back you know if you know it's under under special circumstances um and then coup- <clears throat> do what
1: you gotta have your coupons to come back you gotta have
0: dance. <laughs> Aaron Reed says the Hayes Code said the bad guys had to pay. They probably had to put him firmly on the side of good. Agreed. Heroes could not do certain things. Bad guys could not do certain things. Black and white had to be absolutely established, and there were no gray areas. And going into, and the level of depth into the macabre that you went or the horror that you went into was a directly offset by whatever ideological message that was tacked on in order to balance those scales, in order to make it palatable for viewers or what they thought viewers wanted, you know, (laughs) to to, to actually make money when in actuality they quickly discovered like like 10 years after the Hays Code that people wanted the scary shit, especially post-World War II. People wanted that fucking escape because it was post-World War II that we saw Italian horror be like, fuck this nonsense, go for broke and do whatever the hell you want. And then fucking, you know, then Alfred Hitchcock coming along and said, here's a toilet and here's blood in the shower. Aha! And people were <laughs> like, what the fuck? So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it didn't last long. You know, you, you know, we could say that World War II essentially altered the idea or basically altered the mindsets of the world and changed, you know, filmmaking and storytelling fundamentally from that point. Everybody's so,
1: kind of like they're like, yeah, I guess there are some things scarier than movies out there. Right.
0: uh Tony Regimes would bring. Uh, I read that European films were a big influence on the end of the code. Absolutely, stuff out of uh, Germany, stuff out of France, stuff out of uh, Italy, um, and some stuff out of even despite the censors, um, stuff out of stuff out of England as well. Europe was a huge influence on the end of the Hays Code or the the demise, the slow death of the Hays Code, till so eventually they got rid of it. Just because people weren't abiding by it. They're like, no. It's like, well, the Hayes Code's there. So, but it's just this ineffectual thing until eventually they just like stopped enforcing it. It It's like, yeah, it's just dead now. It's like, we're not going to do it anymore, which is funny because the market, like like, literally the industry was kind of like, no. And they're like, but wait. It's like, no. And the studios were like, no, you fuck it because the movies that we want, these make money. Hayes Code movies didn't make money. These make money. So, fuck it. Money talks, bullshit walks.
1: And then all of those companies became, I don't know, insurance companies.
0: <laughs> Aaron Reese is like, I love, how, I love how people are like, you can kill her in the shower, but girls don't poop. <laughs> never. <laughs> never show it. Never. Uh, hey, oh, except, um, yeah, except, oh yeah, like Sir Kevin said, the cowboy in the white hat could punch a guy, but he couldn't shoot him. And Casey Cooper brings up, except in self-defense, and never, ever in the back. That's right. There were there were rules that came along with that, absolutely were. And then, and then Josh Lee brings up, and then along came the MPAA, yeah, uh, yeah. And there's you know fighting for that R rating really fucking hard. You know, there's a movie, like I said, the movie that we are currently working on, getting into pre production. You know, that that movie, I can't speak too much about it. I guarantee <laughs> you, there may be some difficulty. You know, with with some of the shit that I wrote. You know, in that movie, there may be some. Like, how is this not NZ17? You know, but yeah, yes. if, you know, I didn't think it was it would be any worse than like Maniac. Maniac had some hardcore shit in it. Dude. And I don't think what I wrote craziest. is any worse than Maniac. Huh? That
1: was one of the craziest movies.
0: Dude, wow. like, like the 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 remake with Elijah Wood took it to you know, like, took it to a next level, took it to the next level. That shit was fucking gruesome. I don't think what I wrote is any different than that, but there's some pretty hard, there's some pretty heavy shit in in mine, you know, in my version, you know, in in my uh, in my script. So we'll find out. But yeah, if uh, for those who uh, jail pushing boundaries, never heavy sarcasm. No. Thank you, Tang. Appreciate that. Always push boundaries. That's the point. That's the point of storytelling, is to push the audience. You know, and yep. either revulsion or or acceptance. You know, yep. but you've got to break boundaries. You've got to put it, you got to push it in there. So, um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the thing about this, I think that watching The Walking Dead is just an excellent example of, you get to see the differentiation between pre-code films and code films. And I think that's where it really sits. So you can kind of see where mentalities were at in the 30s, um, especially at that time, what was going on geopolitically that the news was inundated with shit for yoda i mean obviously with you know like world war uh, world war one was still it was you know less it was uh you know less than 10 years was it 10 years about a decade maybe a little more than a decade off i can't remember the end of this like 1919 1920 something came nonetheless not to mention not to mention the stock market crash you know when uh that shit went up so Everybody, you know, the, the, the need to have this kind of control, good guys are good, bad guys are bad, they're easily recognizable by their white hats and black hats and twirling mustaches and evil laughs, And that's, but that's not reality, you know? So the, the need to give people fiction to help them get away from their lives is necessary, or to help them internalize their struggles is necessary, but they did it in the wrong way. They, it was the wrong way to do it people need to see their problems reflected so that they can internalize them and under, and, and and see them from another perspective and be able to internalize and reconcile those problems because they see other people going through the same issues. that's
1: that's exactly it
0: not a reminder that no. what you're feeling is not normal this is how it should be good guys bad guys that's you like that the, the, the this idealistic world. Is not what is meant to be conveyed, but they tried, they tried. And of course the, uh, the industry trying. suffered for it. Right. Yeah. Except, no, uh, to, some, to some extent. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's, uh, why do we watch scary movies? It's because they're, you know, it's some of us for like me, it's, Hey, there's real world horror out there, but I'd like to take a fucking break and know that I'm also, I, I'm not alone in feeling the way that I feel and if i feel like i have a thought that's probably like not a normal thought but you see it on a screen and it's like oh somebody else also thinks that way that opens up a whole new world to you know just open it up and let let yourself be yourself and that's yeah hard to do in a post world war world right i, I, I can't imagine it, it's post world war 1 and then all of a sudden world war 2 some of these people lived through both and you're like this is absolutely this is horror this is real life horror. And then people take their feelings and put it into art. It's great. I love that. But what a Sir weird uh, life.
0: Oh God, So bonkers. You know, it's gotta be, yeah. You know, and we, you know, I came, you know, I came in, in the 80s when it's like post post-Vietnam. And it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that then, then it was the rise of the yuppie. But Sir Gad <laughs> says this week, this week's longest tangent brought to you by the Haze Code. <laughs> yeah, no
1: shit. On on the shortest, oldest movie tonight, too.
0: Dude, we could do, we could do a, a show on the Hayes Code and how fucked up that thing was. The minds behind it, how it got implemented, the penalties that came along oh with enforcing that Seriously. shit. The, the, oh the directors that rose up, the directors and filmmakers that rose up, how Aaron brings it up. Aaron Reese brought up the Hayes Code kept control of who got screwed to the theaters. Then lower, lower, lower budget theaters started bringing raking it in with no no films, and the other theaters thought they were losing profits. So ultimately it came down to money. You know, money is right. oh, a capitalistic nation. It's a capitalistic society. Money is always going to uh, overrule the mor- the moral inclinations of whatever group is in, is in charge. So, but yeah, that's what the ultimate is going to do. Tang with the CPM says, I can't really do real horror. Hard pass and things that are too close to reality. And I get that. I do. Sometimes we identify a little too closely. And those ones haunt us. One that gets me every time is a movie called Heartless. I've brought it up before. is an English horror film that that is literally the centerpiece of that is a is a the the protagonist, the disenfranchised protagonist, and the relationship he had with his in the relationship he had with his deceased father, you know, and how that struggle is internalized. And so, like that one stayed with me like a week after that. And right. of course, there are all the gruesome stuff like films like you know, like um. Uh, there was a Monica Bellucci one that hits, you know, if you want to do shit like Serbian film and shit like that, that's just like fucking, fucking extreme. Serbian film. Yeah. Serbian film or Salo. you know, really fucking extreme shit that people may identify with um, on, on, a, on a pretty personal level. Tango said You should, I would love a history, special uh, history, special episode of Can horror on the horror of the haze code. <laughs> Definitely. All hey, right. We should talk
1: about that. We can talk about that offline.
0: That would be, that would be a conversation. It really would. So, yeah,
1: cool all right well let's uh let's focus on the main part of this film and that was boris karloff for sure i want to ask the audience what is your favorite or what do you think is the best boris karloff film the best let us boris, know.
0: the best boris part boris the best film. the
1: best one i don't know probably 1966 how the grinch still christmas um
0: <laughs> ah ha, 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 nice Nice. No, but uh
1: I, there's so many. I, even post, you know, later on just in the '60s, he did a ton of stuff in like '66, '68. It was. Crazy, I love. But,
0: like... I love Frankenstein. Obviously, okay. I love, everyone loves right. Fred, the original Frankenstein, you know. But I really fucking loved him in the Mummy. I okay, really yeah. did. I thought right. the Travis Brown bring it up. Yeah, the Mummy. I fucking loved him in the Mummy. I really did, and you can see. He did that role so fucking well that you could see where Christopher Lee, even though it's Christopher Lee, and I'm not denigrating Christopher Lee, Christopher Lee saw what worked, what Boris Hmm. Karloff brought to that. And Christopher Lee said, you know what? I'm going to pay homage to the guy who set this in motion, to the guy who made this. And he took what worked. He made it his own. Christopher Lee made his version of The Mummy his own. He absolutely did. But I loved what Boris Boris Karloff brought to that role. So The Mummy is going to be my favorite. Absolutely.
1: There's so many of them. It's hard to pick. Oh, yeah. I want to say the Tang- most recent one that I remember was The Girl from Uncle. But yeah, I don't know. Do uh, Tang do Whistle brings
0: up Tang Whistle. Say, this is that's so hard. Travis Brown says The, <laughs> the <laughs> Mummy. Tang Whistle says Dracula or Phantom, I think. Casey Cooper said The Old Dark House. Very nice. Yeah. So good stuff. You know, just fantasy. But let us know down in the comments below or we can order gmail.com. You you know, the best Boris Karloff film in your opinion. Mine's Mummy day oh oh yeah uh nosferatu yeah uh, okay
1: yeah you, see yeah there's so many
0: we have a really uh, speaking of that we have a really interesting vampire flick coming up that came out in the 70s with christopher lee that's gonna that we're gonna be talking about on the show that's you know not, i don't think well known it's kind of like obscure an obscure christopher lee film uh christopher christopher lee vampire vampire film, film. yes Ooh, yes okay. i cannot wait to get into it it's gonna be fucking great Ooh, i love that uh, M- mask of fu manchu Maybe the Black Cat or Black Sabbath. Nice, Sick and Olay. So many good ones. God, so many good ones. So let's ju- jump on. I know we're running a little long because I went a little long uh, at the top of the film, and of course we had a couple of rants there, um, especially the Haze Code rant. But let's jump on to our last film of the night. This one released March first, nineteen eighty-eight, and we have the comic horror film Doom Asylum. Let's check out this trailer. Cue up the Terror Tube.
1: Cue up the big <laughs> the guitar.
0: Yeah, so that was the trailer for Doom Asylum, the one that was released by Arrow Video, because this movie didn't, I think this movie had an original trailer, so it was the only trailer that I could find for it. But Doom Asylum, uh, uh, written by Rick Marks and directed by Richard Freeman, and starring, um, interesting, Patty Mullen, Ruth Collins, fucking Kristen Davis from Sex and the City fame, yes, in an early film of hers, William Hay, Kenny L. Price, Harrison White, Don Alvin, and Michael Rogan. The film follows attorney Mitch Hansen and his fiancee Judy Bruce. They get they get into a car wreck that uh, unfortunately Judy is killed in. And during the autopsy, Hansen wakes up after being disfigured because they for some reason like the first move in the autopsy is cut the dude's face off. But uh, <laughs> he wakes up and he murders the medical examiners. And then ten years later, um, a group of teenagers, of hapless teenagers, uh, including G- the Judy's, you know, uh, the deceased Judy's daughter Kiki are having a picnic near a mental asylum where Hansen was being held and that he still lives there to this day. Meanwhile, a punk band is also using this on to practice some songs and Hansen is still uh, inhabiting the asylum long after it was condemned and he uh, plans to go after any perceived intruders. So, uh, and yeah, that shit definitely gets fucking real in this one. Um, this one is so... Okay. Okay, I got trauma vibes off this. Okay. Like like desperate trauma. Am I wrong on that? Desperate trauma vibes. Like like trauma was doing this. We need to do something. Like I I an attempt to be trauma, but ultimately kind of failing. And it was in the dialogue. You know, it was in the it was in the killer's dialogue, and it was in the yeah. It's all one
1: liners. (laughs) It's just a bunch of one liners. But it's like this movie is like if like Gen Z today tried to portray what it was what like style like the 80s trying to portray the 80s and then uh you know somebody our age comes along and fixes it it's just a weird vibe of like i'm watching it and i'm like thinking it's like a it's like a newer movie trying to like make fun of the 80s and it's like no this was actually made in the 80s this is right the, yeah this was As evidence trick
0: as evidence sarcasm brings up the only interesting thing about this movie is the obviously staged graffiti throughout yeah. of it yes all over it. so <laughs> so many callbacks to like like bands that were hot at the time and you know the it,
1: it's, it's so not a opposite. callback though it wasn't a callback it, oh it no was, that's right that no, was no it wasn't a call- it was like,
0: these bands are hot uh what's hot uh look at the look at the billboard charts Ah, metallica, metallica. Ah, yeah <laughs> kill them all yeah it's like Okay, great. You know, so, you know obviously stays throughout the whole thing. This The, the film itself was filmed and it was shot at an abandoned uh, mental asylum. And I think it was, was it in New Jersey or was it uh, Philadelphia? Um, East Coast. Or, or New Jersey or Pennsylvania. I can't remember, but it's long since been demolished now. But it, it actually had just been closed and it was abandoned. And they decided to shoot out there. Made for a great, uh, great shooting location. That was fantastic. But the film itself is so fucking over the top. In oh, everything seriously. it does, but this is this is what's what what got me. Dumasama, you know, you watch this movie. Oh, Pink Floyd was actually on the wall. Yes, you know, it's just uh, it's uh, b- <laughs> silly stuff like that. See, the, this is what's interesting. The film is actually really smartly made. This is an example of smart people, of smart, talented filmmakers making a terrible fucking film. Terrible like the movie is not good. And it's shocking because, and it most comes out in the line readings because these actors, I don't know. I obviously, like you know, Kristen went on to get some ta- went on to like get some training because it felt like every like almost every line was fed to the actor right before they said it, and then they just kind of delivered it, and then they just moved on. Like it's kind of like it was almost like nobody really knew the script, and so they're just kind of like saying each line as it's being hand- being hand fed to them. And that's why the the energy levels are not consistent in the movie. People go up, they go down, they go up, they go down. And not to mention just the atrocious token black guy in this one. It's kind of like, what the fuck? Could you be any, it, it almost like borderline racist. And that's why it felt trauma. You know, it's borderline racist. It's borderline communist. It's all these things are in there. I do love that sequence when he kills the, uh, when he kills the, uh, the band chick. He's like, I it was like, why? And he like kills her, like melts her face in the fucking acid. And he's like, ha ha. I respect your right. I expect your right to a freedom of speech, but I disagree with your position. <laughs> like that shit is <laughs> fucked up. But there were, there was, it was, it was a smartly smart people behind this smart stuff. You know, there was, there was I mean, the practical effects are on point. Oh yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed a lot of them. I don't understand why the, the like the lead guy got, we all like he died from having his toes cut off. I mean, I get that's painful and, and, and horrific, but you know, he just like, Oh, and then he just dies dies. and then which is weird i liked the meat grinder thing she comes in as the giant cube i thought that shit was fucking (laughs) hilarious there's hilarious shit throughout the whole fucking movie Uh funny stuff funny sight gags there's sight gags throughout which is also very trauma you know it felt like the whole fucking thing was trying to rip off trauma and be like a trauma movie but you know it couldn't quite get there
1: it's it's like they had ninety thousand dollars to make this movie, and they shot it between eight and twelve days. So they're like, "Fuck, what do we do? Let's buy ten thousand dollars worth of cocaine, and we'll just fucking." Clean.
0: <laughs> and that's
1: it's what it really seemed like because it was just it was manic. That's a good word. It was a well, very manic the, situation.
0: Here's the here's the kicker. Okay, and the reason I know some people are going to disagree, the people think I'm, I'm I'm revving up the TP nine thousand on this one. Why I'm calling it smart filmmaking. Uh, the reason I'm calling it smart filmmaking, and the reason that, I, that the people behind this were smart and they knew what the fuck that they were doing. If you, if when you're watching the movie, it's like it was okay. Sirkan says it wasn't bad or good enough to be like a trauma film. I was, I said aspiring to be to kind of capture that same energy, but it failed to do so. So um, yes, it's very much a yeah. Yes, Tony regime. It's very much like a side, like a Janssen Bob Strike right Back. It's like fuck, big. Did you even read the script? There's a script.
1: There's a script.
0: Right. So. The thing about this the the thing that caught me is that throughout the film in between kills in between pretty gruesome kills in between them there are moments when uh the killer is watching uh is watching movies is watching stuff the movies that he's watching oh and I totally lost my fucking notes on this and which is really really obnoxious um the every okay so the movies that he's watching are the films of a particular director and son of a bitch. He was a, he was a British director. Oh, motherfucker. I've, I, I've lost his name. Damn it. I, I accidentally closed my notes. Whoops. Son of a bitch. Um, a Oh yeah. Verona, New Jersey is where it was shot. It was shot up in New Jersey. Um, and yeah, Chris, Kristen Davis's first film. So wait a sec, maybe I'll find it. Maybe I'll find it here. Uh, I think I got, it, I think I got it. I'm totally like dropping the ball here. This is what you have one of those, one of those like drops in the deal. Um, Son of a bitch, it's not there. Fucking hell. Um, It never was. uh, That's so annoying. Anyway, he's watching these black and white movies interspersed throughout the movie. Like like the movie, like the action will occur and then it will cut. It'll cut away to like this movie playing on the screen. And uh, the what I'm trying to, uh, how I'm trying to connect it is that. The films that, no, it's not George King. But the films of that director, that director is considered one of the, was considered, I, I I will find his name, I promise you. It's a British director, considered one of the premier directors of that time. And one of the ones that kind of brought Europe into kind of like the golden age of cinema. And like the crimes of Stephen Hawke. Yes, one second. Um... I'll jump it You're there. Who I I was gonna fucking find it? Uh, was it George King? Let me see. One sec.
1: You're...
0: Oh yeah. To- oh no. No, sorry. No. No. Not George King. Todd Slaughter. There you go. So Norman Carter Slaughter, who went by the name Todd Slaughter, he was an English actor best known for playing over-the-top maniacs in macabre film adaptations of Victorian melodramas. That's the that that was the key right there. Was Todd Slaughter? The films that you that you see him watching. It was. It wasn't the director. My bad. It was the director. It was Todd Slaughter. It was the actor Todd Slaughter, but Todd Slaughter was influential in a behind-the-scenes role. Like he influenced how what was what was referred to then at the time as back in the '30s um, as melodramas. Okay, where it wasn't really horror films at the time, but they were melodramas. It was you know, in in uh, English in English in the English prolongs. So. Slaughter originated a number of roles like uh, he started in like his his company like he like his his uh, theater company revived melodramas such as Maria Martin, uh, Sweeney Todd, uh, The Silver King and audiences just ate that shit up. Yeah, it was his roles in those the melodramatic role, the melodrama role and those movies that are interspersed throughout are Todd Slaughter films to showcase the connectivity between the character that we have doing what he's doing in the name of a daughter that rejects him ultimately. That's the melodrama appeal there. I don't believe for a second that 80s audiences, that audiences at the time, would have made that connection. That's a connection that only a fucking critic would make. To recognize the parallels in the films that were being shown, starring Todd Slaughter, typically directed by George King, that to recognize those things and then recognize the parallel in the in the zany manic horror comedy that they are watching, you know the the uh the misunderstood driven to excess villain who whose ultimate motives are rendered futile because the goal was never act was all in his mind it was never it can never be actualized, and so that's where it comes to like the like literally the you know the end of your own making. You see that again, the Poe thing, where we are the architects of our own demise, which is what he is, which is what Todd Slaughter revitalized for audiences during his time. And this one plays it. And then they throw that callback in there, which not a lot of people would pick up, which right. I found really fascinating, which tells me that the people who were shooting the thing, the, 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 like the director who was behind this... Um, I'm gonna make sure I go back to my notes. Make sure I, I make sure I quote him correctly. That uh, Richard Friedman knew what the fuck you, or at least Rick Rick, uh, Rick Marks knew what he was doing when he wrote this, in order to have that kind of film callback, the inspiration behind what's going on. How this is kind of like the '80s version of those old school Victorian melodramas, but ramped up and commercialized for an audience for the post slasher for the the, uh, the post slasher uh, landscape. And I was like, that kind That's of stuck smart. out to me. That kind of yeah, stuck no. out to me. I was like, holy shit. There actually is depth here. But what's fucked up is that it's depth that hardly anyone would pick up on. Right. Unless you it's fucking all... new film.
1: It turns it into <laughs> like a like a cult classic. It's like, you know, only a handful of people are going to understand it. But like you mentioned much earlier in this rant, the dialogue was fucking terrible. It just dialogue it really was awful. awful. Awesome. You can't walk in, out of a driving movie, Sandy. Like, it's just. It,
0: it was it, like wow. every line, every line was. That's what I it, they It was either cue cards. They were fed it. Oh, it's like every sure. line, every line, same energy. Hot, 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 hot. Who speaks like that? <laughs> Idiots in terrible fucking slasher films. Terrible <laughs> comedy slasher films. Like who laughs like that? Ch- like, the, like the lead singer does. Like Deliberately. it's like come on come the fuck on you know and then the 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 obvious i'm a brother i'm a brother from the you know like that you know that the token it was like holy fuck man but (laughs) nonetheless i i found it and so (laughs) sarcastically somehow we're going to get around to how the clips made this a better movie i'm sorry I, I, i i accidentally closed my notes i had the names there and i was like fucking hell i had to go find it again so but yeah i found that intriguing in interesting way so this i think it's that's what kind of set this way it's like huh an asterisk by doom asylum terrible movie made by people who actually knew what they were fucking doing which is really weird it's a weird dichotomy so like there's smart people behind this movie or a smart really- writer at least a smart director for recognizing that but fuck this movie was bad it was just it, not it, good
1: it wasn't good it, it, there's not even like a redeeming quality to it i it, it maybe i don't know everything up until the guy gets his toes cut off and then dies i'm like what what come on
0: and then it ends and then it fucking ends it's just like she's like she finds out you're my dad well fuck you stab stab and then walk up the way she walks off that fucking she's just like (laughs) no trauma no texas chainsaw massacre shit you just saw a person ground into a meat block (laughs) your boyfriend is dead and you just leave his fucking corpse rotting back there in the asylum after you stab your father to death in the eye, Ha ah, I ground his eye out of his head. Big emphasis on on that sequence. And then you just stroll off like, ha, ah, Ready to take on the world. Fuck <laughs> well, yeah! That
1: happened. That's just that yeah. happened. It was, it's, that's you know. a thing, though.
0: <laughs> it's just so it is beyond ridiculous. Just that's why I think I kept getting trauma vibes. Like they wanted so bad to be a trauma movie, but they just weren't because. Just, yeah. There's just no Lloyd Kaufman, you know. But they tried. They like they looked at all the things Kaufman did right, tried to do them, tried to do it themselves. But hey, it's not Kaufman. I get, I get it, you know. It's trying really hard to be uh, to be a trauma film, but or maybe even a, like a Charles Band film. But you know, it just wasn't going to happen. Wasn't going to happen. Not with this no. one.
1: No. how the fuck is someone
0: supposed? The fucker got no skin. You tell me that fucker didn't die from infection like you know, uh, like two, ten years ago. Give me a fucking right. break.
1: That it's like, he's a like, he's just
0: fucking tendons and shit, and like are exposed in his face. This fucker, ne- and he's living in an abandoned asylum. The fucker never got an infection. Give me a come on. Come
1: on. What are you eating? What, like, where's your food?
0: What antibiotics are you on? What the shit, man? It's like fucking crazy.
1: <laughs> I rediscovered penicillin. <laughs>
0: um,
1: no, nah, so, but yeah, You're they make terrible. the
0: most of it. They, they, they desperately make the most of this film. They try to do their best. And like I said, smart filmmakers behind this one. T- just a terrible movie might've been a limitation of the budget. Like you said, what was the budget? Like 90, like 90K.
1: Yeah, 90K, 90K. 90 K. Yeah. Well,
0: 90 K, $90,000. Yeah. For 90,000. That's not bad for ninety. that's not 000.
1: terrible. That's what I'm saying. It was shot in eight days with $90,000. Like they did the best they could with what they had.
0: Right. You know, just trying to make it, but, uh, but nonetheless, uh, it is a slasher film. It is from the eighties. It is in the post slasher landscape. It's got some intriguing things. If you are a film nerd, if you're a film nerd, like we are, then obviously, there would be, you know, there's something, some, some interesting call, some interesting things, some callbacks in there, some interesting, you know, filmmaker stuff, things that you would put in because, you know, not necessarily because your audience knows, but for the, you know, for me, for me to, or for us to be like, you know, like, oh, holy shit, I they, 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 there's, there's, there's meaning there, you know, but, you know, but unfortunately, something like, like he's that trying I to
1: speak to just... me. I know it,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I, we want to ask the audience, like, you know, just straight up. Given the the quality of this one and you know the various horror films, it definitely pulls off a number of other horror films. You can see a lot of the burning in this one. You can see a lot of fucking Friday the 13th in this one, a lot of moments, a lot of shit that they did they just kind of grafted off from other films that they just kind of like brought over as like skin grafts to try and make it prettier. Um you know, but it came out as pretty as its antagonist. Um, but we want to ask the audience of all the slashers that are out there, and there are so many. Both good. Hundreds. Hundreds. Both bad, both bad you know some in the in the middle you know Casey Cooper's just meaning it was an accident honest we had no intention of that you know <laughs> but uh but yeah we want to know what was your favorite 80s slasher 80s slasher film they're all on the table it is a wide deep barrel that you can choose from some yeah, at the bottom yeah. some at the top you know, but let us know down in the comments below or a week in or What is your favorite 80s slasher? I ask this because this made me reminisce about my favorites, about the ones is like, this one did it better or this one set the, set the tone. This one is being ripped, you know, whatever. And I start, and I just, I, that's tip, the worst thing you could do with your movie is make us, the audience want to watch other movies. Right. Remind like, us of those yeah, other things.
1: Like Jason takes Manhattan.
0: What are you shitting on Jason Takes Manhattan for? I,
1: I didn't. That was on the top. Oh, just
0: made, oh, oh that, that was your no, top one. I'm just point? kidding.
1: It was just terrible.
0: <laughs> oh no, because because Jason Takes Manhattan, while enjoyable, had some moments, some good kills in that man. You know, come on, yeah, there's, like, there's you know, like sauna rock kill. Yeah. You know the 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 dance the like the the dance room kill like the the, the ballroom kill on the yacht. Fucking. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the, the the junkies, you know, killed with a hybrid, like I like, got stabbed, like impaled with a hypodermic needle. Think about that one. But that movie just makes me want to watch seven. What well, just makes me want to watch Friday <laughs> seven. Yeah. You know, it just makes me want to go back to that one when he fights the fucking psychic. Which right. Is the shit. But nonetheless. uh, But yeah, let us know down in the comments below or we can order at gmail.com. Your favorite 80s slasher. That's Strange so like this. Strange like seven nights. It's Halloween. Technically not 80s. Yeah. I hate to burst your bubble there. Technically not 80s. Halloween 2. Yes. Halloween 2, Halloween movie, two yeah. 80s, but Halloween, you yeah, got right there at the, right there at the turn, right at the turn of the decade. So, but uh but yeah. Well, we have uh come to the end of our films and that means it is time. And what time is it? Trivia
1: time. And <laughs> um,
0: yeah doesn't play a second time you know so i don't have the repeat on that so yeah just it is, let it run just let it run no throughout the whole fuck man we nobody would listen to us <laughs> uh but it is trivia time so yes the first person in the audience to get the correct answer to this trivia question gets a special item from the weekend horror store so alex give them their trivia question tonight i have got the live chat up so what do we got what do we got what do we got
1: let's go Tonight's trivia question, Lance Hendrickson made his horror debut in what 1976 exploitation film? Once again, Lance Hendrickson made his horror debut in what 1976 exploitation film? First one to get it down in the chat wins a prize.
0: What do we we got? I'm wondering if this is going to be a fast one or so, because last week was fast. But the previous week
1: quick, they got it last week. It was like
0: last week it was fat, it was like like literally instantaneous. But the previous week it was like eight minutes. We sat <laughs> we here like
1: eight minutes out of this show.
0: Dude, should we put a timer on this?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was like, no,
1: it's this. Uh
0: oh, Travis Brown nailed Travis it. Brown got it, nailed it. <laughs> Travis Brown nailed it with Mansion of the Doomed. I didn't have yes. to
1: pull up the YouTube on my phone to find the
0: chat. So yes, Travis Brown. Yes, that was Lance Henriksen's first horror film. You know, he'd done a, a number of films before that. He'd done some crime stuff and some, you know, some like, kind of like western-inspired stuff. But that one and, and a couple of comedies. But before that, but that was his first foray into the horror genre. Was Mansion of the Doom, an exploitation film from 1976. If you haven't seen it, go and check it out. It's actually fairly interesting. Um, Tang Whistle got there as well, Mansion of the Doom, but just a hair behind him. It says, yeah, just a list a little bit. But Travis Brown, congratulations. I'll got your name down and we will get that printed and shipped to you ASAP. Well done. Congratulations, bud. Sir Cat says I was ever so slightly typing the answer when Travis popped up. <laughs> he said mm-hmm. Travis is quick. He's fucking quick. He's so he fast. really is. He's, yeah. he's fast. How many All words per right. minute
1: can you type, Travis?
0: Oh, yeah. And I wonder if he's a hunting peck or if he's a home row kind of guy. I'm a home row guy. Are you and yeah. peck?
1: No, I'm, I'm home row.
0: It's, home row? Yeah. I, can, I
1: type emails all day long. So <laughs>
0: There you go. All right. Well, that Horror Fiends is going to conclude this episode of the Week in Horror podcast. We want to thank you all so much for joining us. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, smash that like and subscribe button. And be sure to hit that bell so that you never miss a future episode. Join us next week when we look back at the gallows-spired Canadian slasher curtains The Madcap Wackiness of Cthulhu Mansion. Holy fuck, that movie is so bad. The Flashy Slasher Dreamcatcher, not the Stephen King one. And the return of the murderous home invasion trio in The Strangers, Prey at Night. Be sure to check out Josh Olsen's store at badsamurai.store. He does all the awesome artwork you see splattered all over our merchandise. And for more from Weekend Horror, check out all the bloody links down in the description. Follow us on the socials for The Daily Splatter, your daily horror recommendation. Join our Discord for watch parties, big announcements, all kinds of horror shenanigans. And you can support the channel through channel memberships right here, Army of the Dead, Super Chats, PayPal, or even through our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You can make all this magic happen. So what are you waiting for? Join us. Get your name in the banner down there. You see it? You see it? As always... Thank each and every single one of you for being the greatest audience a horror podcast could possibly have. I'm JL. And I'm out. We will see you all next week. And as always, stay scared. <laughs>